my journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur. Through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and fatherhood, and backwards to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel for over 80 years. Welcome to the 50th episode of Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is the Donnerverse Part 1. Joining me to discuss 1978's Superman the Movie, directed by Richard Donner, is returning guest, our most frequent guest, Comic book artist V. Ken Marion. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I feel like I'm uh, an unofficial like uh, regular on the show a little bit, which is, is pretty cool. Thanks for having me for so many times. For sure. One of the things that I'm most proud of about the show is our stable of guests, of which you are a part. And as people have likely noticed, we go back to a lot of the same voices for these episodes. And you know, there are some who kind of pop in and out, but we have sort of our stable of, of guests and you're a big part of that. And you were here for the series premiere. You've been here for a bunch along the way. You're here for number 50. I anticipate having you here for number 100. And when eventually this all comes to an end, and hopefully that won't be for a very long time, but when we get to that inevitable series finale, I hope to have you back for that too. Oh, dude, I would love to, man. Thanks for having me back for so many times. Like, this has been so much fun hanging out with you digitally and virtually and, uh, you know, talking about Superman. So it's it's been great. It's been so much fun. Yes. Well, I appreciate your time as always. And as you said, virtually, we've been doing these all remotely, but I think we are we are getting to the point where we'll be doing these in person. And then that'll that'll be a whole other angle to this where we're yeah. both in Flat Squirrel Studios recording these episodes. It'll be a lot of fun. Oh, but- yeah. That'd be awesome because we live really close to each other. So yeah, your your office back there, I see it in the corner. I'm always like, oh, I can't wait to record one in person. With all that great setup and the the mics and everything should be fun. We'll get there. We'll get there sooner rather than later. I would say at this point. So I know everyone is excited for Superman the movie talk. We're going to dive into that. But as this is our fiftieth episode, I did I did just want to take a moment to thank you and all of the other guests who have brought such enthusiasm and insight to all of these discussions. Uh, this simply would not work if I didn't have you guys to bounce off of. So I appreciate all of the guests so, so much. And of course, my thanks to the audience, people who have listened and watched and commented and shared, people who have joined the Patreon. Really, really, truly, this experience has exceeded any expectation that I had for it in terms of what it's allowed me to explore with respect to my fandom. And this community of other Superman fans and other Superman podcasters out there uh, to become a part of all of this really, like I said, has exceeded any expectation that I had. So uh, I really do appreciate all of that. I know 50 episodes is not that's not the biggest milestone, but it's, it's not nothing either. So I thought it was worth taking this moment to address it at this point. No, hell yeah, man. And like, like not for just, you know, being a guest, but also a listener. Like I listen to every one of your episodes. So every Wednesday when they come out, it's, you know, it's something I look forward to. So I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other listeners who feel the same way. So thank you for, you know, being 50 in and still want to keep doing more, you know? So thanks. (laughs) Right on. Well, my pleasure. And going back to what I said a second ago, really, I know there are people out there who, you know, listen and I've never heard from them and that's perfectly fine, right? Nobody owes me a message or anything like that. But man, I just, I really do appreciate the people who have reached out and not even that I'm looking for compliments, but, but people who have reached out and have shared their take 
on the things that we've talked about. And that's been really cool. And sometimes they are able to share something that I wasn't aware of, or other times it's just, yeah, I, I agree with the take that you guys had, or other times it's, I completely disagree with the way you guys saw it, and here's why, but it's always respectful and, and fun, and that's really been cool. So uh, again, thank you to everyone who has. And you know, if anyone is out there listening and you've, you've, you've been silent thus far, that's perfectly fine. But if you ever do want to reach out, Digging for Kryptonites on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We also have our Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group uh, if you'd like to join that. So those are some great ways to sort of become part of the conversation if you want. Yeah, I encourage everyone to do that. And on I like that, hearing back. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and on that note, so I did put out a call on Twitter not too long ago. I said we're going to be doing our 50th episode. If anyone has any questions about the show, feel free to reach out. And only one person took me up on this, but that's quite all right. They were, they were two good questions from the delightful Rick Reason on Twitter. Uh, so shout out to Rick. Uh, and these are questions that maybe others have had a, as well, um, if, if it's <laughs> crossed anyone's mind. So the, the questions that Rick had were, uh, what has my favorite episode been and what episode has surprised me the most? which I thought were the, the second one in particular, hmm. I, I really, I did give some thought to. So I guess before I give my answer, you've been on so many now, Ken, uh, is there an episode that you've done that you would be like, ah, oh, that was really my favorite to do? Uh, okay. So, mm, yeah, I, I didn't think about this. Um, I know I am t- 100% yeah. putting you on the spot and I apologize. Yeah, it is the first I'm hearing about this. So, um, <laughs> well, off the top of my head, I mean, I really liked our steel episode. That was, that was a fun one to record. And it was, I feel like a character that nobody really talks about. So it was fun to like shed some light onto that character in that movie. And, you know, hopefully let people know how cool steel is. Um, But I mean, just for like entertainment wise, like, like listening back, like, I mean, I really liked our Snyder cut one, but one of the funnier ones I think we did was the Superman two one, which we're kind of going to, this is like the sequel to of that one here tonight. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a listening back. That was the one I think that was the the funniest to listen to. Like, I feel we had some good jokes in there, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're spot on with that. No, that's really funny. I'll say this. It's, it's very hard to pick a favorite and I don't know if this sounds like, oh, of course he's going to say this, but I genuinely enjoy all the episodes. And the thing is, if I recorded one and I didn't enjoy it and I didn't think it was a good episode, I wouldn't release it. So, you know, all the ones that I put out, I'm proud of uh, and I enjoyed. But I will give an answer. I think that one that definitely stands out to me was the Death of Superman episode that I did. And you know, and the audience knows how much the Death of Superman means to me. And so I guess going into it, I don't want to say I was I was nervous, but it was one of those things where I was like, you know, is the reading is the reread going to live up to my memory and my expectation? Uh, and then are we going to have the conversation that I'm hoping to have? Am I going to articulate everything that I want to about this story that means so much to me? Like there was just kind of a lot riding on it for me, I guess. And I just had such a good time doing like, I'm so proud of that episode. And I, I mean, I can say this about, you know, virtually all of them where I, I said everything that I wanted to say, but for that in particular, like I, I recorded everything that I really wanted to say about the story that got me into comics and into Superman. And so that one definitely stands out. And then not just saying this because you're here, but the first Snyder episode that you and I did, this was like the fourth or fifth episode of the whole show. Was it the the Batman versus Superman one? Yeah. Man of Steel. Yeah. We did Man of Steel and BVS. And 
I was very early on in the, in the run. It was the first video podcast that we did. It was the first episode that I did using that particular uh, video conferencing I, I platform. That's when I was using my phone and like I got a phone call in the middle of it and like it like cut out. <laughs> yeah, was that, that, yeah. yeah, we lost you a couple of times. Yeah. It was very ironic because we were talking about the tornado scene in Man of Steel and there we were like literally getting tornado warnings in this area there was a lot of stuff going on we powered through it and i didn't edit it so like all of us in the episode people heard as we lost you and got you back but it was one of those things it was just like that 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 learning curve of you know navigating this the remote setup and the video setup but also you know we went two hours on on snyder and it was one of those ones where we weren't just sort of uh you know we were making a case for something and i think that was Mm -hmm. the first episode where i did something like that and, and that's been really cool as we've moved forward with the show is, you know, shining a light on something like Superman Lives, like we did recently, that maybe not as many people know about, but also, again, defending something, you know, offering an alternative point of view, you know, like I said, making a case for uh, for the for the works of, of Zack Snyder. So that was one of those episodes where it just gave me a sense of like, oh, this is where we can go. These are the kinds of things we can do. This is what the show can be. So in that sense, it was it was an important one. And I hold that one up as well. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, for surprising um, for me, your set on um, the animated series that you just did with Jeremy. Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I loved that show when I was a kid, and like I've never really like really went back to watch it that much, or th- really even think about that much. And when you guys, when those episodes started coming out, I, it got me very nostalgic. And you know, those were I, I wasn't expecting to like enjoy hearing someone talk about them as much as I did. So it was that was a really fun set of episodes. Yeah, I think you did five of them, right? Yeah, you did four or five of them. Yeah. 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 No, right. And, and Jeremy was a great he's a great guest too. So it was like really great conversation that you guys had. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that and I know he'll appreciate that as well. Uh for surprising I guess like I don't know that any of the 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 recordings themselves have necessarily surprised me so much, but in terms of the prep and just the overall process I mean there are a lot of directions I could take this in, but one thing that I will single out is the George Reeves Adventures of Superman show. I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed those. Like it wasn't just, hey, I'm watching this, you know, from an academic perspective to talk about it on the podcast. Like I really got into them and I wasn't expecting that. So that was maybe one of the most surprising pieces where I really uh, was just blown away by how much I enjoyed them genuinely. Yeah, they're cool. They're very cool. And if no one's ever watched them, just heard about them, they should definitely check them out because they're they're definitely a cool time capsule for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Ken and audience, for indulging me for 10 minutes as we celebrated our 50th episode here. Now, the Donnerverse event begins. Five episodes looking at both the direct works as well as the influence of the late filmmaker Richard Donner in both movies and comics. And we are going to be talking about this again over the course of five episodes, beginning, of course, naturally in this episode with 1978's Superman the Movie. Now, I know this is a movie people probably don't know a lot about, so we should probably spend a good amount of time giving a very detailed plot summary of the film. What do you think? Uh, you're joking, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. This is one of those times where I'm going to assume... <laughs> you, you, the audience, he looked for a second, Anthony looked dead serious on the video. Like, I thought for a second, I thought he was being serious, so... Yeah, this is one instance we always, I, as a host, I feel like it's always important to set the table and give context for what we're talking about. This is one instance where 
I'm going to assume that anyone Uh listening to this has seen Superman the movie. And that, in part, is one of the reasons why we built a whole event around the work of Richard Donner, this movie, and what this movie gave rise to. So, yes, we Mm -hmm. will assume that people are are familiar (laughs) with the movie. And I'm going to say this right at the top. I... I've long had a little bit of baggage when it comes to Superman the movie. But prior to my rewatch for this episode, I sort of realized something and it really shifted the way I look at Donner's vision of the character. And by the time we're done with this episode, man, I am unpacking all that baggage. I am leaving it behind and I am moving forward with just love and appreciation for the, this vision of the character for what it is. And okay, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Because I, I, if, if your listeners, if anyone's a longtime listener, or if you went back to listen to the earlier episodes, the very first episode we talked about this, that this is this is my like definitive idea of Superman. Like this, the, not not the movie, but Christopher Reeve as Superman. So like this movie is a very big place in my heart and in my childhood and. Like I will, we'll get into it, but it's, it's in my top five favorite movies of all time. So it's like, this is a like untouchable movie to me in, in a lot of respects. So, and I know that you have a more complicated history with it. So I thought this, this episode might be a little bit of like good cop, bad cop between the two of us, but like, I'm, I'm super excited to get into this. Yeah. And let me just say, I, I've, despite any mixed feelings, I've always had a lot of love for it, but at the same time, it hasn't occupied the same space in my fandom as it has for you and which i think is interesting and and kind of on that note i want to kick it to you first i know we talked about this when you were on the the first episode of the show we talked about our superman fan journey journeys at that point they've obviously Mm -hmm. expanded since then (laughs) reading and watching (laughs) talking about all this stuff but uh for anyone who you know didn't listen to that that premiere episode or needs a refresher do you mind just sharing when and how and with whom you first experienced Superman the movie? Yeah, totally. So I, I actually just recently sent you pictures of this when I was visiting my parents' house a few, uh, like a month ago over Christmas. Um, but I, my first experience was a VHS tape. And do you remember those those pictures I sent you of the VHS box? Like, I, So my dad had bought the VHS of Superman when it came out, like for the first time, like the 80, like before I was born, you know, when it was, he told me it was $100 back in like 1980, whenever he bought it. And like the box is so crazy, like because I, I snapped a picture to show Anthony. Like the cover of the box is like a still from the movie of Superman flying. Like it's not like a poster or anything. It's like literally like a shot from the movie that they put on the, the cover. And the back is like, watch the cinematic masterpiece is Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman. Like they they write like a whole like like there's like a paragraph on the back just just like explaining it. So so I, that was funny. But yeah, that VHS was. I think my first exposure to superheroes in general was that, like, I mean, I don't even remember the first time I watched it. Cause it was just felt like it was always part of my life. Like I had the Superman PJs on running around in my backyard pretending I was Superman. So yeah, that movie was just like, I'd watch it with my parents all the time when I was a kid and you know, there were no other superhero movies that it was that and the Adam West Batman movie were the ones that I watched when I was a kid. Um, so yeah, it was like, like all the time. So in growing up, I, you know, would watch it every couple of years and, it just, you know, became so ingrained into like my life. You know, it's one of those movies that, like I said, top five movies for me, like desert Island movies. Like if I could only have five or like the five that like I hold on to from my youth, you know, that's definitely one of them. And I love that you still have that VHS. Mm -hmm. That's, That's a wonderful thing. Have you 
had the opportunity to see it on the big screen at any point? No, no, I have not. So you did, right? I did. Alamo showed it uh, in 2018 for the anniversary and I did get to see it. And that was, it was a really cool experience. So the next time an anniversary rolls around, definitely keep an eye. Cause I think for you in particular, I think you would get a lot out of as much as you've seen it so many times, but to see it on the big screen with an audience, there really, there was something yeah. to that, even though I had to shush the lady next to me <laughs> while we were watching. And this is Alamo. I mean, they're known for their no talking, no texting policy, but you know, there's, and you know, it's funny. Part of me felt a little bad because this lady was, she was really enjoying herself, but she was like repeating every line to, to her husband or whoever she was with. And at a certain point I was like, you gotta <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> it's like, I've waited my whole life to see this on a big screen. I don't, I don't need this. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, but no, that's so cool. I, like, I guess that's, what's kind of funny because, you know, you and I are, you know, just about the same age and, I, I too watched it with my dad when I was, I don't know. See, I don't remember vividly, specifically the exact instance, but um, I do have this vague memory of us watching it. And I want to say, you know, age six or seven, like somewhere around there. It was after my my whole death of Superman experience uh, that I oh, wow. re- that okay. I do remember more specifically, unless I've totally jumbled it. But I don't believe that's the case. And so it's one of those things where. I, and it, it's not that you can only have one definitive moment, but I think for me it was my dad reading me that Death of Superman comic. Like that's the memory that is more deeply ingrained and that was more formative for me in terms of mm-hmm. my Superman fan. Like that's the one that I, I always go back to, even though, again, I think it was not not very long after that at all that he and I watched it. And I don't think we owned it. We probably, it was probably on TV or something like I. I don't I don't okay. recall owning a VHS. Maybe we did, but I, I don't think so. But we definitely watched it and it, it was definitely a positive you know view that I had of it. It's not like I watched it and I was like, "Oh, this is terrible." Like I definitely enjoyed it, but it just didn't cement for me the way yeah. that I think it did for you. But I've always watched it. I've always owned it in various forms on DVD, now on Blu-ray. I have the motion picture anthology from 78 to 2006, that set that they put out with all of the Donner movies and Superman Returns. Uh, and like I said, I saw it on the big screen. So again, I don't want to, I don't, you know, want to paint this picture of like, oh, like I've always been dismissive of it or it hasn't meant anything to me. It, it has, but just not, it just never rose to that level for me for whatever reason. And, you know, as you know, you and I got older, right? And then, then we had Smallville. And so that was sort of that other big tentpole in my fandom. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, Superman, the movie was just always there, but it just didn't, it didn't, like I said, rise to that same level, occupy that same space for me. It's probably because you didn't own it. It's probably because you, cause dude, I'm telling you, like I watched it, like there was a point when I was watching it, like at least once a week or like, you know what I mean? Like when I was, cause you know, when you're a kid, like, you know, Oh, you know, it's raining out on Superman kind of thing, you know? So it was one of those things I just watched all the time. And, um, it's funny. I was talking to my dad earlier this week about, cause I was rewatching it, prepping for this episode. And we, and he started telling me about the, when he, when he was younger, like before I was born, when he was going to the movies and, um, with my mom and they were going to see some movie and the trailer came for Superman. And he said that the, the first trailer was just that Christopher Reed, you know, that shot, like after he gets program, not he, after his like montage with, <laughs> with, uh, with Jor-El and you see him from like a distance, the tiny little 
in the distance and you see him in the suit and he flies toward the camera. He said that was like the whole trailer. And my dad said like, he, he had no idea they were even making a Superman movie. And like, that was like mind blowing. Like he was like, Oh my God, I cannot wait to see. And it was like, I think a year and a half away. It was like, like a teaser teaser that they like put out. So it was definitely like, it was interesting to hear that from him, from his perspective of like, this is going to be crazy to see this, you know? Cause like, like think about seeing like this movie in the seventies, like it had to be mind blowing, you know? I'm sure. Was he a comic book fan? He, okay. So he liked the George Reeves show when he was a kid, but he, and he, and when he was a little kid, he had some of the comics, but like, that was pretty much it. Like he didn't read comics as he got older. Gotcha. But he like loved the George Reeves show. So like a couple of things that are actually really interesting that I've been thinking about that, that you mentioned. So one is, you know, the fact that I didn't own it and maybe that played a role in, 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 in my not getting as into it because I wasn't watching it over and over. <clears throat> Dan Greenfield is going to be on another episode in this event. And he and I, he's the editor in chief of 13th Dimension. He's been on the show before. And we're going to be talking about the Superman 78 comic that, that recently came out. And I know because he and I have spoken about this and he wrote a whole article about it on 13th Dimension that, you know, he's, he's always been a big Batman fan. So when Superman came out and he was old enough to go see it at the time when it originally came out, he wasn't particularly excited about it, but he was visiting a relative and they went to see it and, and he loved it. And then when it hit HBO, he watched it over and over and over to the point where he basically memorized it. And for him, mm-hmm. again, Batman is still number one for him, but that version of Superman is the one that he he still holds on to to this day. So I think there's definitely something to be said for the the repetition, especially at at the right mm-hmm. age. Yeah, yeah, especially and at the time, you know, I mean, really until 2008. Let's be honest; like there weren't that many superhero movies that you had options for. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, real. I mean, okay, let's say up until when, when the first X Men movie came out. So from like. 70 to like 2000 you had that and you had a couple of batman movies and that was it you know yeah for sure and to your other point i was thinking about this too you and i have our comic book fans our comic book creator so comics always loom large for us but the thing that i always do remind myself of is that for most people these adaptations are what they know when they think of these characters and you know for like for our parents in particular, because I think it was, it was the same for mine as well. My parents watched, they weren't comic book readers, but they watched the George mm-hmm. Reeve show and they watched the yeah. Superman movies in theaters. And so that's, that's kind of what they had. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. And again, not to minimize the comics because it all starts from there, but uh, yeah, it's like you, you just, you can't overstate the importance of, of these adaptations and shaping the way these characters are perceived by the majority of people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. True, and, yeah. and then uh, the, the other thing that you said, that I, t- I totally agree with. I think about this a lot, especially with Star Wars. I- I'm not a big Star Wars guy. I never have been. I watched the re-release of the original trilogy in the '90s. I enjoyed them, but I, it, it wasn't. Did you, did you have the toys? Were you into the toys? In no, the 90s? not really. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I had all the toys, all the toys. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's why. But so, yeah. but at the same time, so like it just never meant as much to me as it did for so many others, but I always think with Star Wars in particular, I always think about, man, if you went to see those movies, especially the first one, when it first came out, mm-hmm. when there was nothing else like it, and you were the right yeah. age, it's like, of course, this would grab yeah. you and capture your imagination. So yeah, for people who, you know, maybe knew Superman from the George Reeves show, or maybe didn't even have that much of a connection at all. And then you see that trailer and you see the movie. I mean, I, I can imagine 
what that would be like. Is there anything in your experience that's, that's even close to that? Oh man, that's a tough question. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we were talking before, like before we started recording about Batman, we're recording this right after the Batman came out, which uh, we'll, we'll save that for another topic uh, for, cause we've got an episode coming up on that. But I think like the most excited I had ever been coming out of a movie, like, like, like I think the, the closest thing that I could just think about that was close to what you're saying is the first Batman begins. I kind of felt something like that where it was like, I remember leaving that theater thinking like, I've never seen anything like this before where it was like, this is taking a character that I've grown up with that like, I've always liked that was like a superhero. That's like fantastical, but made it like feel so real and possible that like it could actually happen in real life. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't know, maybe, maybe that might be the, the, the closest thing because like star Wars, like I had in VHS as a kid, you know, and when, the, the sequels came out that's you know it's kind of more of the same it's not like breaking new ground you know i, I don't know what about you is there do you have anything i was funny when regard- i was thinking of batman begins as well i think you and i probably had similar experiences where i, I too came out of that and i was like oh like that's like, yeah that's a, like a batman movie could be like it's real yeah like just like their gotham city like it felt like because i remember coming home from the theater because i saw with friends like at that point like i was old enough to like not go with my parents at that point you know and i remember coming home and my mom was like, how was the movie? I'm like, it was crazy. It was like, like they explained everything, like, like why he has ears on his cowl and why there's like spikes on his gloves and like why he wears a cape. Like, it was just like, it was mind blowing to me to like deconstruct it to a level of reality to like that precise that I then like quickly imagined like, Oh, you could do this to all the characters and make them all like real like this, you know, which they've done. Now we live in a world where they all, they're all like that, you know, they're all treated with reverence. Yeah, for, no, for sure. I think the closest experience that I've had to what your dad went through watching the trailer for the first time was seeing the trailer for the first Spider-Man movie in the early 2000s. Mm. Because, you know, this was a point in time where the internet existed, but not to the extent that it did now. It's like now we're just, we're bump- even if you're not seeking stuff out, it's like you can't scroll through Twitter without seeing images and trailers and all sorts of stuff and rumors and yeah. so, everything. So it was early enough where, you know, I'm sure I knew that they were making one. I don't, I don't think I was like, oh my God, there's going to be a Spider-Man movie. Like, I think I knew it was coming, but, and if you remember that first trailer came out way, it was like a year early. It was very early. This was the infamous Twin Towers trailer. I I don't think I ever saw that trailer. It is. It's I've heard about it. Like, I mean, I've seen it, but I'm saying like, I don't think I ever saw it before, like. 2010 or something like on the internet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the, the experience you're talking about, did you see it online or in front of a movie? I saw it at a movie theater. I can't remember what movie it was, but it was at movie land on central Avenue in Yonkers, which is now the Alamo draft house. So whatever I was seeing there yeah. at that time. And like I said, I, I think I knew there was a movie coming, but I didn't know anything about it. And I certainly wasn't anticipating a trailer and the way that trailer unfold, you don't know initially it's a bank robbery at, at the beginning and mm-hmm. you don't realize it's a Spider-Man trailer until pretty far into it. And I just remember having that moment of like, like, you know, just that, that excitement and the surprise. Yeah. Um, so I, again, like a long winded way of saying, it, I can appreciate what your dad experienced. With I, that. I actually do. It's not to derail this from Superman. Just, just give me, give me one yeah. more minute here. Uh, the similar thing was the first transformers movie. Um, I was seeing Pirates of the Caribbean with a bunch of my friends. I think it was the second one. Yeah, because I was in, I was working at the movie theater at this point. And I remember going 
into this movie and we were like sitting there watching and this trailer starts where like it's like the, the first teaser trailer for Transformers like you said like you wouldn't know it was a Transformers movie it was like a, a rocket taking off and like landing on Mars and this like Mars rover goes around on the planet and like and everyone was like like what is this everyone was like watching like because it looked like like uh like like Apollo 13 or something right and then like the camera you see this shadowy thing and it goes trink 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 and like smashes it and then like the Transformers logo comes up and starts shifting. And I remember, cause I had no idea they were making a live action Transformers. And like, I remember me and my friends were all like, holy shit, there's going to be a live action Transformers movie. And like uh, that trailer made it look amazing. And the first one's okay, but like the first movie's pretty good. But like, it was just that level of like, this is something that like, I never thought was even possible. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So. No, for sure. And so, you know, bringing it back to Superman, the movie and, and Donner in particular, one of the things that regardless of any issues that I've had with the movie or more particularly its legacy, because I think that's where I've had the <laughs> the larger problem. Fair, that's fair enough. That's definitely fair enough. Regardless of, of all of that, I've always appreciated, always admired, and been very grateful for the fact that, that Richard Donner and company, <clears throat> including, of course, Christopher Reeve, but that starting with Donner really treated this with such reverence and respect and integrity and told an epic tale of Mm -hmm. the man of steel that still holds up for the most part today visually and narratively and the fact that my issues with the legacy aside the fact that for so many people we're decades removed from it and for so many people that's still the definitive take on superman speaks volumes about what he was able to achieve. So I've, I've always had a lot of respect and reverence for, again, just for him treating it so seriously when most people certainly didn't expect that. And he probably could have gotten away with not doing that. Right. But they really went into this, I think with, with truly good intentions and it, it shows. 100%. I I echo everything you just said. And the part about you saying it still holds up when, people like when I talk to my friends about ranking your favorite comic book movies and inevitably, inevitably people are always either like one of the Avengers movies or dark Knight as their favorite. Right. But for me, my number one will always be this movie. Like this, this is my favorite superhero movie. And part of that's nostalgia, but the other part is like rewatching it again. Like this movie does hold up like it, it like by modern standards, the only thing that's really kind of wonky about it are some of the flying scenes because the green screen, but like, but this, like this movie holds up like by today's standards, like the acting, everything about it is so well done that I want, like, that's kind of one of the reasons I feel like I like the Snyderverse so much is because if you want that classic bronze age era, Superman, this movie exists and it's, it's this is kind of a perfect movie and you're not going to do better than it for this version of the character. So like why if, like, if you're going to do a Superman movie, you got to do something different because this is like a perfect vision of this era of the character, you know? So that points to one of those areas that I've, I've had an issue with, and it's not the movie's fault at all, mm-hmm. other than being a very strong movie. <laughs> it's And I don't know if fault isn't even the right word, but I mean, ultimately this goes back to, you know, subsequent creators and the fans where, and we've talked about this most recently, we did our Superman lives episode and we talked about the, the Nick Cage movie that never happened and how, you know, you can't help but feel that that was due in, in no small part to, 
maybe the studio perceiving there to be resistance to this different take on the character, right? Because people were so mm-hmm. attached to what had come before. And again, that's where I think I have a bit of an issue. And yes, we see that play out most recently and specifically with the Snyderverse, where I feel like people are so attached to the Christopher Reeve version. But like you and I, I think you and I are on the same page with this. It's like, you can always go back to watching that, but it doesn't mean yeah. that you need to retell it in subsequent iterations. No, and, 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 but it, it's like a, it's like a fool's game to try to do it because this movie is so damn good that you're not going to like you're not gonna you're not gonna do a better version of this movie. This movie is like a perfect movie, you know. Like it's like aside from some of the day's special effects, it's like like you said, narratively, structurally. The acting, the portrayals of the characters are so dead on. Like it's, it's a great movie. It's, it's, it's like a masterpiece. You know, it's like, can you imagine if someone like every ten years tried to remake The Godfather? Like, you know what I mean? By like making like the same movie, like it'd be like crazy. You know? Well, and we're going to talk about this in the final episode of this Donnerverse event. But Superman Returns is very specifically an attempt to try to replicate this, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like. And we'll talk about this more in that episode, but I feel like there's been a little bit of a resurgence in 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 people now voicing their support of of that movie and the Brandon Routh portrayal in particular. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, I okay. see, you know, especially after he came back for Crisis. Uh, on, I mean, on yeah, he, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's not the problem with that movie. That <laughs> yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but but um, but I guess just this idea of you know this was a very specific example of the filmmakers trying to just redo what had been done before and it didn't work. And, you know, maybe you can point to more specific, oh, there wasn't enough action or this and that. But at the end of the day, it's like this was as close to, you know, the Donner ver- version of the character as y- you could get and it didn't work. So, you know, it's funny because I know I've used him as an example before when we were talking <laughs> the Snyder stuff, but my buddy Zach, not Zach from the Smallville podcast, different Zach, who is no no fan of the Snyderverse has no love for it and takes any opportunity he can on Facebook to remind me of that. To what end, I'm not sure, but he wants me to know that he doesn't like these movies and that's fine. It's all good, you know, knock yourself out. Like or don't like whatever, it's fine. But as, as I know you know, right, not too long ago we, we saw photos of Henry Cavill in the Christopher Reeve suit, right, for like one of the screen tests or whatever. Oh, I, I never saw that. Oh, I'll send it to you. You got to take a look at it. It's, okay. it's very cool to see. So the photos are out there. And so Zach, I think either some, how, how does he look? How does he look in the, the Christopher Reeve suit? I thought he looked, he looked good. Okay. Okay. Cause, cause okay. Okay. But, uh, but anyway, the point is Zach, I think someone had posted it on my page or something. And Zach commented and he was like, that's the costume he should have worn in man of steel. And I was saying to myself, really? You think that's the costume he should have worn in that movie? Like, they're, the sensibilities of those films are so, like, they're telling very different stories. These are different interpretations, different versions. So, yeah. again, and that's just a very, that's a microcosm, but just a, an example of, again, I think people holding on to this at the expense of maybe being open to other interpretations. And and that's, yeah. and that's so I don't say that to put down the Donner version in any way shape or form it's like the opposite i kind of agree with you it's like we had that version yeah. done to the peak of, of, yeah. of its possibility and the, yeah, yeah. That, exactly that, that, that's where, that's where i come from it too is like it's like i feel like it's almost like disrespectful to like just try to like remake it as worse you know what i mean like it's like 
Yeah, like <laughs> being reverential for like what it is. You know what I mean? Like it's that. You know what? That's actually a really interesting question. And obviously, you know, I don't know enough about Donner or Christopher Reeve to really be able to answer this. But I, 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 I don't know. Do you think they would only want subsequent Superman movies to try to replicate what they did? I, you know, there's so I have no idea. Probably, well, I mean, probably not. You I know. would think that's the thing, man. Like, I would think not. And I wanted to mention this because it's really interesting. I watched, in addition to the movie itself, right? I watched like all of the special features that are on that motion picture anthology Blu-ray. And there was so much behind the scenes material that I had never really seen. And I want to circle back to that. But there were interviews, of course. And, you know, Christopher Reeve talked about how he saw himself as a custodian of this character for a, a set period of time. And Again, I'm extrapolating a bit from that, and and I don't know if this was necessarily what he meant, but, you know, again, I don't know that he would necessarily want every subsequent iteration to, you know, to try to match what he did. I I don't, I I never got that sense. And so, yeah, you do kind of wonder, it's like, who are we doing this for? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nostalgia, I think, really is what it comes down to, you know? I mean, Batman seems to have been a little more adaptable with that over the years, I feel, like that people have been able to acknowledge their fandom of the past, but want to like reinterpret. And for some reason, Superman seems to be like, I, honestly, I think it's because this Superman movie was so well done that it's like, like, I feel like a lot of people like realize, like, 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 I don't know. Like I, cause I, cause I, I think to like, you know, like the nineties Batman movies, specifically the burn era. And like, I, I mean, I love those movies, you know, specifically the first three, like I, I like Batman forever, but like um, there's definitely room for improvement. You know what I mean? Even with the, the best of nostalgia, I think like an objective person can look at those and say, these are cool, but there's like a, a different take we could do here. But I think with, with this Superman movie, it's so like, like it just feels so real. Like it's that thing we were talking about Batman begins. Like, like this movie kind of like has that reality kind of baked into it already. You know, they're not really like, playing big and playing for last like the sequels do that right like superman 2 and 3 and 4 like definitely delve into that like cornball like territory but this first movie i think just just is so anchored in like reality but while also staying true to who like the 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 absolute core of the the comic book character of the time that like like he looks exactly like like chris freeve looks exactly like the comic book like stepped off into the into the screen you know I agree with that. And I feel like, yeah, when you look at this, it's they told the story in in really a a mythic way, right? They captured Mm -hmm. the myth of this character, but they did so in a way that that kind of married the real world, like the realism of the of the world with the world of the comic books. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the secret, you know, (laughs) the secret recipe there that made it that made it pop and work so well. It's funny slash sad that again people hold up this this version of the character and I understand why and I guess it really does go back to that movie. I know there's a lot of love for Superman too. You know, we talked a lot about <laughs> Superman two previously, but <laughs> I think even all right, maybe people might be a little split on Superman two, but I think most tend to agree the latter half of the series and those were not Donner movies, but you know the latter half of the series was a Awful. disappointment, yeah. right? Yeah. To, to put it mildly, and so. It's just kind of interesting that even within the 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 entire Reeve series, we have diminishing returns here. Uh, but in any event, we're here specifically talking about 
about the first one. And going back to those special features, uh, like I said, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And one thing that I came into this and I watched the special features first before the rewatch. And one thing that I appreciated way more this time was everything that went into the effects. And I mentioned earlier, that might be one of the areas where it doesn't hold up quite as well. But you know what? it was it was so fascinating to see how they did so much of this stuff like they used and again i I might be saying stuff that people are well familiar with including yourself but using the miniatures for uh the exteriors Mm -hmm. on krypton and for a lot of the california earthquake damage uh everything they did with the harnesses and projectors for the flying sequences the special uh reflective material that they used to create the kryptonian garb that would make it Mm -hmm. look like they were glowing just this overall that was cool as hell what the krypton looks like yeah it was so cool and just but just this over and you know just seeing the construction of of the these massive sets that they built in london and again you know we're so used to all all these cgi heavy movies and i'm not knocking that i know there's a lot of a lot of work and a lot of artistry that goes into creating that that's not uh, nothing i don't mean to put that down but what they were able to achieve in the seventies with practical effects is, is astounding. And yes, does it, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder visually with what we see now? No, it's different, but it, in its own way, it really holds up. Parts of it. I mean, when I say some of the flying effects, I don't mean like all of the flying effects. I mean like certain shots, like, like the scene when he saves the helicopter, I think that still holds up. And like when he stops the missiles and stuff, I think, most of it holds up like it's mainly like like there's this one scene like, like when he like flies up and then kind of turns and like the background kind of doesn't move right like there's a couple of those shots where like it doesn't a hundred percent look right but i would say most of it still looks really good yeah which is astounding yeah yeah so it just uh, like i said and going back to this idea of the respect that they treated the material with which is mm-hmm. which is funny in those interviews, Gene Hackman talked about how he was initially very reticent to take on the role. That was definitely a, a theme in, in some of these interviews where Hackman in particular was like, you know, I didn't know if this would tarnish my reputation as a serious actor. And I, I think for, for the public and for a lot of the actors, people in the industry, the Adam West Batman was like the closest comparison that yeah. they could make as to what this might be. So I, I, again, it really is. Uh, truly astounding what they were able to achieve, especially at that point in time. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's cool, man. And like, I I think a big part of it is Christopher Reeve. Like, I think he's like, like the secret ingredient in like making all this. I mean, obviously Gene Hackman and Margot Kidder, like everyone's bringing their a game, but like, if you don't get Superman right in this, like it's, you know, it's that, that's like, I mean, I, I heard, they screen tested like Robert Redford and Stallone and like, can you imagine Stallone? I mean, Stallone looks like ripped, but like, I, I, I don't know if he would bring the same uh, charisma that Christopher Reeve has, you know? Look, I, I'm maybe the biggest Rocky fan you, 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 you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think they made the right call, you know, <laughs> but again, it's like you, you get it right at the time they were just, you know, going through who the, the hot names were, but no, I think definitely going with, an unknown makes sense for all of the reasons that are typically cited, right? It's easier for the audience to buy into them being this person when they don't have mm-hmm. that baggage. And yeah, Christopher Reeve, again, this is the Donnerverse event, but you, you know, you can't separate them. And, and of course, so much of why 
these movies, but this movie in particular works is that Christopher Reeve performance. The there's this magic and charm and earnestness to mm-hmm. the performance that is just in its own league. There, there's something I noticed. There, there <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'll get into details of it, but like, there was the big thing that I noticed this time watching it was that I was kind of comparing it to like what I remember of like Henry Cavill being Superman. And Henry Cavill's take is like a very like stoic, like very like he stands like perfectly straight and he's like, like postured all the time. You know what I mean? He's like, he's just like, where Christopher Reeve, like especially in the scene when he comes to talk to Lois on the balcony, Christopher Reeve has this like, like very relaxed confidence about him. Like he like, he kind of like, like swaggers when he walks and when he sits down, he like, he's not sitting like perfectly straight. He's kind of like slouched over to one side. And like, he just has this, like this air of being like very cool and confident and like relaxed. And that's something that I don't think we've seen with any other Superman portrayal, really like the, what I thought about it. And it was like, he just seems so natural, like in the suit, like you don't think you don't get the vibe that he's like self-conscious about wearing tights. You know what I mean? Like he just like, and that suit, I know we've talked about previously that we talked, you asked me what, what suit I thought was the best. And in the past I said the Henry Cavill man of steel suit, but like while I maintain the suit as a suit hanging on a rack, I think the Henry Cavill one looks better on the actor. I think this suit might be the best suit. Like, because Christopher Reeve, like might be the only human being on the planet to look that good wearing that suit. But like, it is like, he looks like underwear and all man, like red underwear and all. He looks like regal and like mythic wearing that costume. And it's like, there's really something special about the way he portrays the character. You said it beautifully. There is, there is totally this ease to him. Mm Mm-hmm. He's he's unburdened by the weight of the world on his shoulders in the way that yeah. the other depictions are, but yeah, just the way he carries himself and 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 the suit. You're right. It, that's the thing. That's like I say, the magic of this performance. Because even just putting aside the physicality of it, the fact that he's not wearing this you know padded sculpted suit, like he's yes. really wearing a pair of tights and he pulls it off. But yes. In terms, and of- he's ripped too. Like, like you, you, you can see like through the tights, you can see his muscles. Like, it's it's Im- crazy impressive if you think about it. You know, yeah, that they ta- that's part of the you know the behind the scenes material where he talked about when he auditioned, he was very skinny. He called himself a string bean, and uh, you know he put on like a big bulky sweater to make himself look as as big as possible. And then he really committed himself to to getting into the shape that he would need to be to pull this off the way he wanted to, and. That's the thing in terms of wearing the co- wearing that costume, but also delivering some of the lines that he delivers about I'm here for you know to fight for truth, justice, the American way. There's just it, it, what could be laughable in the hands mm-hmm. of someone else. It just works here. Yeah, it just works. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Like at the end when the pri- the prison warden's like the world is safe thanks to you Superman and he that guy delivers that line in like a very cornball way right but like Superman's response is like don't thank me we're all part of the same team like he just has this like very like like easy like 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 you're right like it's a very laughable line but like he just pulls it off like so 
effortlessly, right? And like when he's talking to Lois, when he's flirting with Lois, he's like, I like Pink very much, Lois, you know? Like it's like it's like there's a there's like an edge to him as Superman that I think is looked over by a lot of people. Like he's not the quote unquote Boy Scout that like I feel like everyone thinks he like yes, he's a very good person and he's like very like always does the right thing, but he has this like I don't I don't want to say edge because I feel like that's not quite the right word, but like it's this like X factor that I think a lot of people overlook. I've always referred to that, especially in that interview scene on the balcony as slyness. He's kind of yes. sly. When Lois yes. says, do you have a girlfriend? And he's like, no, but if I did, you'd be the first to know yeah. <laughs> this guy. And, and how he's sitting in the chair. He's got like, he's like kind of like, like draped backwards in his cape, just kind of like flicked over the side. Like, yeah, it's very cool. It's great. And when, they're about to take off and Lois says, you know, uh, Clark says you're, you, you know, you're made up like, like Peter Pan. He's like, Peter Pan flew with children, Lois, in a fairy tale. It's, you know, <laughs> I mean, this guy is, is a smooth operator. So, and that, yeah, I love the balcony scene because that definitely shows you some different, uh, you know, angles to the character that maybe don't get as much of a chance to, to shine. Like when he's facing off with Lex, obviously, you know, so like that really helped round out the, his character. So, no, I mean it's it's as as mm. beautiful and pitch perfect a performance as you could ask for. I'm glad you brought the Lex scene though, because I also think Christopher Reeve is a much tougher Superman than people give him credit for. Because like, like when when he goes and faces off against Lex, he's like, and Lex says to Otis, is like, hang up the man's cape, and Otis goes to like, <laughs> and and the Superman like mean mugs him down. He's like, I don't think he wants me to take his cape. <laughs> like, like yeah, I feel like there's a lot of shades to Christopher Reeve Superman that I think people that haven't watched the movie a lot like definitely get overlooked you know i want to ask you about ways in which your rewatch sort of challenged the views that you had previously like if there's anything that as you watch this you were like oh i didn't remember it this way or you, you looked at something differently for me one of the things was the clark kent persona in my head it was more like i remembered it being way more exaggerated and bumbling than it mm-hmm. was. I mean, I don't want to say, oh, it was a very, you know, reserved performance as Clark. He's still, you know, bumping into stuff, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't as bumbling as I've always remembered it to be. I, I think in the sequels, it's a lot more bumbling. Yeah. Like I, I remember, I mean, Superman two, when he like trips into the fire and everything, I feel like the bumblingness is definitely more something from like the sequels that we're remembering. But yeah, in this, it's, he's just kind of like a square guy, you know, who's like, from like he's like like a hick he's almost like a hick is how they portray it. like which is not something that i remember either you know and with the, the the swell and like like you know what i mean he's just very earnest and i actually really did like like i i, I kind of wish like so this movie well, my biggest kind of reevaluation of it was we always talked about how we like superman being what he does and clark is who he really is and this movie kind of reverses that but watching it again, this movie in particular, like forget the sequels, just this movie itself. I don't really think we get that much of Clark Kent to make that much of a judgment call on it. Right. Like we, we Clark's really only in like three scenes of this movie, like as Clark. So like it was a much smaller part of the role than I remembered. Okay. So let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we'll unpack that more because this speaks to the, 
I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but the, a little bit of an epiphany that I had about this movie <laughs> that kind of ties into what you just said. So let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll continue when we get back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I am an alum of these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, ticketing information, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. A great friend of this show is one of our regular guests, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness journey which you can see for yourself on Instagram at Real Life Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out at Iron and Honor on Instagram. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions to save 10% on your order. Again, that's promo code FSP. It helps support the show, too. Thanks. And we're back. So one of the, not one of, the other main issue that I've had with this movie all along is exactly what you were just describing, the fact that, and I know this stems from the pre-crisis incarnation of the character. I recognize that. But this depiction of him as Superman is really who he is, and Clark is the disguise. And one of the things that I had to remind myself of is what we talk about all the time, our our perspective and how, you know, the things that we, we read and watch, especially as we're growing up, so shape the way we look at these characters. And, you know, for me, for both of us, but for me in particular, you know, growing up reading the Triangle Era comics, the template set by John Byrne post-crisis where Clark is who he is and Superman is what he can do. And that Clark Kent played football in high school and he's a star reporter and novelist. You know, this is a very capable Clark, Uh, you know, even watching, of course, the, uh, you know, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman played that up as well. Mm -hmm. Smallville Smallville was all about Clark, even, you know, to this day watching the, the Superman and Lois show where it's, you know, really him on the farm as a family man. And mm-hmm. then he goes off and he has these adventures. So, and the Snyderverse as well, really starting with that basis of Clark. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm always kind of looking at any of these stories through that lens. And in the sense, it's not fair, right? I can't really knock Superman, the movie for taking a different approach. It's, 
its own incarnation, and it was also at a different time, a time when in the well, comics, it, that's how Superman was depicted. Yeah, yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, because that was what I, one of the things I wanted to say was that this was very accurate to the comics of the time. You know, like, the the, the, the version we like was kind of redefined by John Byrne. So, yeah. like, that's not to say that this this is very valid in the sense that it was straight up what the character was, you know? Yes. And so, but here was the bigger revelation that I had that just shifted my perspective on this. In all of those modern stories that I just mentioned, I feel like it's the story of a man with the powers of a god. And he has to reconcile his his heritage with his upbringing and and really wrestle with and decide how he's going to use this power in the world. But he's the man with the power of a god. In Superman the movie, and in the, the pre-crisis comics, but specifically in Superman the movie, I really feel like the intent is, is more that he's a god living among men. And it's so it's it's a flip on that. And I kind of went into that rewatch with that sense. And it just gave me it gave me a different, uh, you know, sort of view of it and a different appreciation. And I, I enjoyed it more because I wasn't, you know, previously I was watching those scenes of Clark and it, it rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, oh, like Clark is just this, this, this disguise for him. But it's like, well, that's, that's the take on the character. I, I, it just clicked for me in a way that I don't think it really had before. Well, it's interesting you say that though, because like, yes, to, to what you just said, like the, the, the role reversal, you're totally right. It's about the superpowered being, living among humans but the the god the 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 god angle of it though like i i really like that they don't play up like like religious imagery in this movie you know what i mean it's like it's not like he's not like he doesn't feel like this is a version of the character that does not feel the burden of being like a messianic figure right it's like he like kind of just it's what i always say about superman to me the core of the character is like he's like a guy in the world trying to do the best with what he's got and like that could apply to both versions like the kind where he's like a man with the powers of a god or a god living among men like i feel like that applies to both right it's like this is what i can do and i'm gonna do my best to help people with it right and like and and i think it 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 it, this this movie like I, i like that it's it's more it's less about him having like like a burden of like not knowing what to do you know what i mean where the Snyderverse leans really heavy into that and i'm glad it does because like i said this version exists so like we want to have like different interpretations you know but this like this very clean and simple sort of like telling of him but it's still i think like hits really hard emotionally if that makes sense yeah, there's so there's a lot to unpack here. One thing I do want to ask you, and I know we keep mentioning the Snyderverse, but it, you know when you look at the Superman film franchises, no disrespect to Kirk Allen and those original movie serials and everything, but effectively we've had two: we've had the Christopher Reeve yeah. movies, and we've had the Snyder movies with Henry Cavill. So, <laughs> and yes, we've had numerous television incarnations, but on the big screen, those are the two. And I feel like in a lot of people's criticism of the Snyderverse. Oftentimes they invoke the Christopher Reeve version and how Snyder went in a different direction. So I feel like it's a natural segue to make. But you know, and not I'm not asking you to speak for the other fans out there. But I mean, like, 
people really did seem to, not everybody, obviously, but the, the critics of the Snyderverse and the, the, the Man of Steel and, and Batman v Superman, you know, really seemed to have an issue with the fact that he was wrestling with what to do with his powers. I mean, that line from, from Jonathan Kent in Man of Steel about, you know, should I have let those kids on the bus drown? He's like, maybe. I mean, people really had a problem with that. Like, is it just that people, some people, like, just prefer this unburdened, character who just has these powers and and uses them this way just because and is not weighed down by the decision is it more like i don't feel like it's as relatable but is it more aspirational like are, are do people find that more appealing because it's like well he's not wrestling with it I, I what is it so okay so i'm gonna go on a little bit of a tangent here in this but i'm not sure if it's gonna 100 percent answer what you're saying but um i i, I listen to rob liefeld's podcast a lot um and he was recently in one of his recent episodes talking about Superman about how he thinks that character needs a shot in the arm because in the seventies, when he was growing up, Superman was like the marquee character. And it's like, and he was saying it's his favorite DC character. And he thinks that Superman deserves to be like more well-loved and stuff. And I, and I really was thinking about that thinking like, yeah, Superman was way more popular than Batman for a really long time until like about like, the 80s right when batman became that and really popular and like a lot of people attribute that to the frank miller and the you know the, the darkening of the character and whatnot but i i was kind of thinking about this in like the larger picture and of like of other of other superhero characters who are like superman like because i've been re-watching dragon ball z and goku is a very superman like character and in my hero academia there's a character called all might who's a very my superhero superman like character and these are characters who are like insanely popular, especially among like, you know, younger generation, like the, the teenagers and 20 year olds. Right. And part of me thinks that the reason those characters are so popular, like Goku and, 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 and all might like a big factor of it and why Superman used to be so popular is that I think the fact of just leaning in and not being ashamed of what they are, right. Like, like all might is a, the best version of a human you could possibly be he's super powerful he always wins he kicks ass he's everything you want a superhero to be goku's very much the same way like he's ultra powerful he gets his he like he, he struggles and fights but he ultimately always wins and always like is like ultimately the strongest and the best and i think there's this this wish fulfillment aspect to that of like yeah it's just so cool to see like the hero character that you love be the best right and i think that's why batman's popular because that's Batman that that is Batman. Like I know he's just a guy, but in the narrative of like the modern stories, he's this unstoppable force that kicks the shit out of bad guys and like always wins. And like and Superman has they've turned on him in the last 20 years of like trying to quote unquote make him relatable and give him problems and give him burdens. And like I think that sort of pulls like if you look at the big picture of it, it it definitely takes a lot of the wish fulfillment out of it and like just like the awe and like wonder of like spectacle of it, you know? And like, th there's gotta be a reason why Superman struggles with popularity, but like Goku doesn't, right? Like there has to be a reason for that. They're like essentially the, the same archetype, you know? And like, I don't know. I think the ashamedness of like Superman's like awesomeness by like a lot of like modern writers definitely contributes to why he's not as popular anymore. I think if people started like leaning into like what makes him awesome, then I think that would resonate. I don't know. That's just an observation. It might be totally off base, but it's something I've been thinking about like a lot, you know, um, 
because I've been like kicking around an idea of like a Superman story to pitch one day. And it's just, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's something to it. There might be something there. No, well said. I'm really, I'm taking all of that in and processing that. I, yeah, I think, I think there definitely could be something to, to what you said. It's interesting. I, I, I'm really thinking about this because you look at something like Superman and Lois, mm-hmm. right? Where there's still internal tension, right? He's trying to juggle the family responsibilities with his responsibilities to the world, but it's not that shamedness that you're talking yeah. about. And the show's very popular. So mm-hmm. maybe there kind of is, maybe there is something to be said for that. Yeah. I mean, he's also not really like the main character of that show either. Like that's like like a ensemble show. So like I think that a lot of the struggles are kind of put on the uh, struggles is the wrong word because it's not like characters have to have struggles. It's not, you know, they can't just like have no that's not what I'm talking about. But like but you're right in that show when Superman shows up, he kicks ass and he's like, and, and he, I don't really think he ever questions like him being Superman. Right, right. Right. Like, like, like in, in the Snyderverse, he, that's, that's a big plot point is like his like wrestling with, am I doing the right thing? Am I not like in Superman and Lois? It's like, no, he knows what the right thing is. And he's got that mission. And the struggles are more like balancing that with his family life. Like that's where the, the tension comes from. So that might be, maybe has something to do with that. Cause you're right. That show doesn't feel like they're, they're ashamed of like, what makes Superman cool? Right now, you know, all of that being said, I, I, I do find it relatable and engaging and compelling what we've gotten in, in the Henry Cavill movies. And uh, we've talked me too, about me too. No, I know, you know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we've, we've discussed this and those are stories that are unfolding in a more realistic modern world. And I think they do a great job of depicting what would happen if someone with this level of power from another planet existed, how would the world receive him? And so mm. with that starting point, I think those stories flow naturally the way they should, but clearly the reaction to them has been mixed. You know, obviously we've seen that. <laughs> I don't think anyone would, would dispute that. Whereas, and I always use this as the example, but it's, it's like, it just, it's a night and day difference in Superman, the movie, when Lois asks where he's from and he says Krypton and she just asks him how you spell it. It's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is, you know, a, either either on this on this earth in the Donnerverse, they're already aware of life on other planets or it's just not a big deal for them. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, they're very different worlds that these characters are operating in. I think, though, on this note of internal tension, this is sort of. Another one of those areas where I I have had a little bit of an issue with Superman the movie, but I think my new perspective of this God living among men in the context of this larger, more mythic epic story have allowed me to to accept it a little bit more because I don't feel like putting aside like, right, he's not struggling with how he's going to, you know, you know, interact with the world so much really, but even just this idea of internal tension and people might disagree, but I don't feel like there's much of that in this movie. You get some instances, and and actually, uh, before I even get into that, let me just say, when I talk about this God living among men, I don't mean to say that the Superman of Superman the movie is this cold, distant, aloof being. Not that at all. The movie humanize, The movie does humanize him, and of course the performance adds so much warmth and humanity. So 
I, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea about what I'm saying. But again, I don't feel like we have a ton of this internal tension. The the for me, I, I see it in the scene with at at Pa's funeral, right? All this power, mm-hmm. and I couldn't save him. And then, and then the decision to reverse time at the end of the movie after Lois dies. Now, there's one other instance in the special edition of the movie, which is the version we watched, which inserts the scene between Superman and Jor-El in the fortress after Superman has his first night in Metropolis saving everyone and mm-hmm. basically doesn't want to be Clark Kent anymore. And Jor-El is like, no, no, you have to maintain your secret identity. So you get a little bit of that tension there. But... Again, it's not, it doesn't drive, I guess my, what is my point here? I guess my point is it doesn't drive the movie the way yeah. it does in, like in the Snyderverse. And again, that's not a failing, but I think for me, viewing Superman the movie through that modern lens, I've always kind of seen it that way, but I've, my perspective has shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but I mean, do you yeah, agree I mean, or do yeah. you feel like, no, no, no like yeah, there's more no, tension that you're not seeing? <laughs> no, no, no. Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to take in everything you said too, like. I actually th- like part of me thinks that that lack of tension though might be why people like the movie. Like to what I was talking yeah, about earlier. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, because he like watching this movie, you want to be Superman, right? Like it's totally like, <laughs> like you do, you wish you were Superman, like watching it. And like, I think there's a lot to be said for that, you know, like, especially for like younger kids. Like when I was a kid, like I wanted to be Superman. If I was six and i watched man of steel i'm not entirely sure i would feel that way i mean i probably would because the action scenes are like so awesome but like but yeah i i i really don't know like how the the Snyderverse, like how that would affect like someone like in their like because i've only ever experienced it as an adult you know so i i'm very much a fan of both versions i hope that's very clear to the audience is that i i'm a person who likes like having for characters like this, like a character like Superman that has had so many different authors, so many different artists, so many, it's not like, this is not a character that was like born of like one artist and author's vision, right. Or one creative team's vision. This is a character that has been adapted basically since day one. So like, I'm very much a fan of seeing different takes and different versions, like things, you know, that are more, you know, like, like, like properties that are basically made by one person that have never changed like that. I, like things like that, I feel like I'd be a little more like tight about, you know, like, but, but yeah, something like Superman, like is definitely an adaptable character for like all generations. Yeah, no. And I, you know, I too am a fan of both, I, I guess. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but I guess it's just fascinating to me. I, it's not so much, why do people like Superman the movies? No, I get that. I guess it's more especially for the detractors of the newer movies. It's like, why, why, I guess, um, mm. because I look at what we've gotten in the newer movies and I, obviously the circumstances are different. I don't have the same experience, but I do find it to me, it's, it's very relatable, but more so inspiring for someone to choose to use his powers when the world is against him, basically versus mm. a story where yeah. the world instantly accepts him. But, Again, like you said, I mean, maybe that lack of tension is is part of the appeal, that it's just kind of this good and simple and pure character and telling. And it's more just about how he goes about his adventures. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, this, like we said, this is like a perfect movie, like in a lot, in a lot of ways. I mean, we, we, I feel like we've talked so much, we haven't really even gotten into the movie yet proper, <laughs> you know? Um, 
Yeah, no, and on that note, so I think this is a perfect time to do so. You know, this really is a movie in four acts with four distinct settings. Of course, we begin on Krypton. We have our sequence in Smallville. We have uh, Clark and Superman's arrival in Metropolis. And then, of course, we have the big climax in California. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, going back to what you we were talking about before, I agree with you that the movie doesn't lean into the messianic imagery the way other movies do. Like, we don't see him in a Christ pose. Yeah, yeah. But this is so the it's so biblical the just the beats of this story, and I, I'm not oh, breaking yeah. new ground on this, and we've even talked about it on the show before. But you know, from the father sending his son to Earth to save it, um, you know, you see him when he's a teenager, then you see him at thirty. Yeah. Exactly. He's uh, you know, he learns the trade of his father, who works with the Earth, you know, carpenter, farmer, <laughs> not not too far apart. Like you said, yeah, we there's this long, you know, we visit with him once in his adolescence, and then he emerges um, as an adult, he, like Jesus. He's temp- he shows up, he performs miracles, right in Metropolis mm-hmm. that first night of saves, and like Jesus, he's tempted in the desert. To, in this case, it's to use his powers to save Lois. It's not, not the devil tempting him, but oh, okay. that temptation of using his powers in a way that he's been forbidden. So I feel like it, you know, it, it hit, man, it hits, you know, it hits a lot of those. It does hit a lot of those same beats. Uh, but again, I think that just supports this overall very, very, uh, you know, mythic epic scope of the story. And again, mm-hmm. you were the fact that we have these four distinct acts and settings um, it, it really does give it that that epic feel. Is there a, a of those four acts? Do you have a favorite? Is there a a, a certain setting that you really enjoyed spending time? Well, I in? mean, I I mean, I, I really like the when Clark and Superman show up in Metropolis, which I did, did want to dive into that whole thing. But I love the Smallville part of this movie. Like, I absolutely love it. I love that you see that Clark is kind of dorky, like which I totally forgot about that. Like in this movie, is that like even before he adopts like the Clark Kent persona, he's still kind of like a, like an outsider, like kind of like a, like a geek. Right. Like, and he's, he's like, like the, the, the team, the football teams, like, I don't know, like equipment manager, I guess. Yeah. Equipment manager. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you get like a little tension with Lana and then like that whole scene when he's running past the train and then like jumps the rails in front of the train. And then like the shot, when you see, the bully and Lana and all those, all those friends like driving their car up past his house. And then you see in a distance, like him running, like you see the two trails of like dirt being kicked up and then they, they, they pull up and they pull up from the like, Clark, how did you get here so fast? He's like, I ran like as part of that like, swagger we were talking about, you know, it's just, it's like, it's a very cool take on Superman, you know? And then when they drive away and his dad gives him the speech about you are here for a reason like that, that scene gives me chills every time I've seen it. I've seen this movie like a hundred times and I love that scene, man. It, it adds that mythic quality. Like, yeah, I like, I mean, I think I, I, you and I, our, our views align on this. The, the debut in Metropolis is definitely the, the high point of the movie, but I too love the Smallville stuff. I mean, look, you and I are huge fans of the Smallville TV show. The thing in recent years, and especially with this rewatch that it what stands out to me is, you know, the, the creators of Smallville. And yes, I know there were a lot of Superboy stories that perhaps served as some inspiration as well, but clearly the movie was a big influence on the Smallville TV series in a number mm-hmm. of ways. And I just, you know, I always think it's like, this was like a 10 minute sequence in the movie and they built a 10 year series out of it. But Mm -hmm. even in just those 10 minutes and 
you just talk about the the efficiency but the effectiveness of the storytelling we're it's only a few scenes in smallville it's you know there's mm-hmm. there's not a ton of time here but it 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 hits all those 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 beats that would again form the basis for smallville this the alienation that he feels, the frustration of not being able to use his powers in the way that he wants to. Like he tells Pa Ken, he's like, is it, you know, is it a crime for a, you know, a bird to fly? Like it's doing what it, what it can do, what it's meant to do. And so it really yeah. just hits on all of those themes that would be the basis for the series. And it's amazing what they were able to extrapolate from that yeah. small and, period. And even like, even like when, when Clark says, he's like, I ran and then they drive away and he's like feeling himself. He's like smiling and he's like, <laughs> Brad, you dick, you know? And like, and his dad's like fixing the car. And he's like been showing off again. Haven't you son? Like immediately like smacking him down. Like, don't, be, don't be an asshole. Just because he's an asshole doesn't mean you can be an asshole. You know, like it's, it's, it's really amazing what they with, especially with his dad in like, it's like two scenes that his dad has, like literally it's like two shots. And like, and then when he dies and like, you, you just like, the look on his face, like you, the acting, this movie is so good. Like his dad, like when he starts having the heart attack, you see that look on his face, like, Oh no. And he's like, he's like looking around, like trying to take like one last look at like everything. Like he looks at the house, he looks at Clark, he looks at like the barn, you know? And like before he dies, it's, it's really sad. It It is. And again, make, you know, going back to the Smallville TV show, we see that echoed when Jonathan passes on that show too. It's a wordless goodbye when Clark and Martha find him out in the in the field there, out by the barn, and he just looks at both of them. It's not a big speech or anything like that. It's just this this look, this farewell look before he passes. So yeah, no, I've I've always I've always loved that sequence, and you know the scene. There there are only a, well, there are a few moments in the movie that that I really do have always felt moved by. Um, some on Krypton, which we would talk about, but. You know, certainly Clark at Jonathan's grave and and just that line about like all these powers, all these things I Mm -hmm. can do and I couldn't save him. I mean, like I said, for the most part, I don't feel like there's a ton of that internal tension in the movie. But, you know, that's a a really pivotal moment and a a key point in his development and, you know, beautifully rendered in, in the movie. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really important scene too, because that like is a scene that shows that like, he's not a God. He's like literally like just someone who can do amazing stuff, but that doesn't mean like he can solve every single problem. And you know what I mean? Like it's definitely like a, in one little scene, it's very poignant to like the limits of his like abilities. Yeah. Although, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting that when you get to the end of the movie and he's faced with the same dilemma, but you know, now he sort of pushes past the limitation on his power and yeah is able to save lois i i don't know i guess there's still some <laughs> some more to unpack I, I i don't i don't love the the time travel aspect of this movie i i will say that i know we keep saying this is a perfect movie, but that's like that and there's one other scene in the movie that i feel like i don't like love you know i, I don't love the notion of him like turning time backwards <laughs> but what's the because i don't want to i want to make sure we don't over overlook oh. it what's the other one? Oh, the the poem that lois says when they're flying, I think that's like oh, yeah. insane. Like that was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. I have to say though, as much as it was very moving, the scene at the at the funeral, Clark's goodbye to Martha really, really got me. I mean, first of all, between the score, we haven't even talked about the music yet, but between the score. Yeah. And just that that wide sweeping shot of the field and the two of them out there. And, you know, Martha, of course, 
you feel, I mean, on top of losing her husband, now her son is departing. Uh, so you, you really feel for her and it is this quiet strength that she has, right? Like she knows this time was coming and she expresses that to him. But when she says, you know, remember us, always remember us. Oh man, it got me. Oh dude. Yeah. Yeah. No, that again, now being like an adult and watching this now with like, like my parents are older now and like, just like those, those scenes just hit so hard for me. Like they're like really sad, you know, there's like a really like emotional sadness in that Smallville part for sure. You know, um, we just signed up our son for for, for preschool, and <laughs> so very different levels. But it's one of those weird things, like because we've been with him every day for the first two and a half years, and now he's going to go off to preschool in the fall, and it's like, you know, he's going to go off and have adventures now. And we're not going to be there for like it's this it's this weird thing, and and so weird. that that's just a small version, uh, you know, of of what like she's like her son is leaving. She doesn't know if she'll see him again. On that note. Like, I know when Clark shows up at the Daily Planet and he gets the job, he makes the request of Perry to have money sent to his mother. Mm-hmm. But we never see them visit uh, again. Yeah, Watching that scene, and I don't, I don't know that this was necessarily the intent, but it felt like a very permanent goodbye. Goodbye. Which, watching it again, it's a little weird that, like, my dad died and my mom He's going to be all alone and like, I'm just going to leave her. Like, it's a little weird. Like in that context, it's a little weird, but like, um, but you know, it's like he, he, you know, he's got the calling and his dad told him you're here for a reason. And that spurned him on. Like, I, I get, I get why, but like, but you're right. It did feel like a very permanent goodbye. And it would have been nice to have like a, 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 you know, a tag up again when he comes back, maybe before he goes to Metropolis. But, but the, when they cut to Metropolis, it's such a good transition though, that like, you know, I don't know where you would shoehorn that in, you know? That's the thing. And so it was just weird. It was just something that I thought about that had never really registered before. But I, watching that, again, like I said, it just had this air of finality to it. It felt yeah. like more than, I know you're going to be gone a long time figuring out what you need to. But I'll see you yeah. when you get back. It really was just like, like remember us. Remember this town. Like. And the fact that, you know, all we really have to go by is what's presented in the movie and the fact that we never see him interact. And, you know, he goes back to Smallville, but in the non-Donner movies, right, in three and four, in the Donner movies, like, that's it. So, I don't know, just based on that, you, yes, he's sending her money, but it's like, I don't know, did did he have much, now maybe someone is listening to this, like, of course he visited his mother, but. I'm just saying he's, he's, he had to, he had to, he had to give her like phone calls and stuff. He had I would, to. Like, At least, I would for imagine. nothing else to explain the checks for nothing else to explain the money that's coming, you know? Yeah. I, again, I'll, I'll chalk that up to it, it being an off screen thing, but I'm just saying in, in the, in between the, the, the mood of that scene and the lack of any subsequent interaction, it just, the thought crossed my mind of like, Oh, did he like, never talk to her again? But again, I, yeah. I hope that's not the case. I don't well, necessarily think it is. I think the real question I got to ask you is how many bowls of Cheerios did you eat when you were a kid? Because that's a Superman ate that glorious product. Dude, every time watching that movie when I was a kid, every single time when that scene would come up and you'd see the, the, the box of Cheerios lit ever so like purposefully, my dad, I'd always hear him say to my mom, I wonder how much they pay to get that box in there. Like every, every time it was like, I wonder how much Cheerios pay to get that box in there. Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Oh, so we jumped over the the Krypton portion of the story. What, mm. What's your take on that? I really liked it, man. Like 
especially this time, like watching it again, like I was trying to like think like, like because th- like this is a version of Krypton that was never in the comics, as far as I know, like this ice, this iced up version of Krypton being an ice planet. And like, it was a very, I thought, I feel like now it's like, well, yeah, that's what Krypton looks like. And when we talked about Superman lives, we thought it was like, Oh, it's so great to get away from the crystals and stuff. Um, but looking at it through the lens of like, they made this up. It's like, it's a cool take on Krypton. Like the ice planets, like the iridescent, like suits that they're wearing. The fact that the symbol, the S symbol is like, his family's crest and they all, everyone has a different symbol. I think that was new for this movie. Like, I think they just came up with some really cool stuff. That's like embedded, embedded in the Superman lore now, you know, that was one thing in particular I wanted to ask you as an artist, you know, the visual language of this movie, obviously the Krypton and Smallville and Metropolis acts in this movie. They each have their own, feel and and look they each have their own aesthetic and i think that lends itself i really think that helps the pacing of the movie because it's not a short movie and you know the special edition that we watched which was the early 2000s donner supervised the the assembly of this cut which included i think eight minutes of footage that wasn't in the theatrical version including lex putting superman through that gauntlet of tests when uh, superman Mm -hmm. went to confront him and like i said the scene of um of Clark and Jor-El after the first night of saves and a few other pieces here and there. So it's not a short movie, but it, I don't know, even for all the times we've watched, like it doesn't feel long. And I think that the very distinct act breaks that we get really do help move it along. Um, But again, as far as the, the ice crystal motif of Krypton and the fortress, which again, Smallville and other iterations would utilize, uh, even it's funny when, when uh, Clark, after he leaves the farm and he throws the green crystal, and it lands in the in the snow, and then the the fortress emerges. I mean, that did the same thing in Smallville when he assembles yeah. the the crystals and he and he throws it. So it's like it created this visual language that has that has lived on, and it mm-hmm. becomes so identified totally. so identified with with those pieces yeah. of mythology. And, and it's so different from what came before it. Like if you look at the comics of that era, like it's the the comics feel very Flash Gordony, right? Like of that era, like they're very like headbands and like tights and capes and like flying saucers and stuff like that. Like it's a very different, unique take that I think people don't like, I feel like really don't give enough credit to this movie of like how different that was like an idea, especially the symbols, man, the symbols, the symbol being not an S that his mom makes to to call him Superman, but like, like that's what his parent, like what all the people on Krypton, like that was this, this family symbol. That's something that's definitely like taken hold in the in the character, like in all iterations, pretty much. I real I do appreciate that touch, especially you know last year on the podcast we did our our deep dive into the various tellings of the origin, and in the very very beginning, you know he shows up in Metropolis without a name, yet he has the costume with an S on it, and then he's named Superman. So it's like, what? How does that work? Uh, you know, why would he have put that on him to begin with? Yeah. And then in, you know, not long after we would get the origin fleshed out a little bit and the, the Kents would be introduced and we would see that they had a role in his upbringing and as, you know, uh, the one that stands out to me in, in, in one of the tellings as Pa is passing, he tells him, like, you know, you're a Superman. And so it's like, all right, at least he says the word and that that would account for why he would put the S on his chest. But, yeah, no, I, I definitely like the idea of the, the family the family symbol. I thought that works, mm-hmm. that, that works well and helps account for why why he would show up with that. Yeah. Uh, 
and yeah, the the ice, you know, the ice crystal motif, I think, works really nicely, knowing that the Smallville sequence is coming after it because you get this really nice juxtaposition of uh, of those those you know the, the white uh, <laughs> versus you know the the yeah. warmth of um, uh, of Smallville. So I thought that was cool. I one of the things in the uh, in the behind the scenes material. They they talked to Marlon Brando, right? So Brando famously uh, did not memorize his lines, right? He had them all written on cue cards. And that's why I always chalk that up to like, man, the laziness, right? And he could get away with it, right? Because he's Marlon Brando. And it's like, hey, you want me in the movie? Put up cue cards. Yeah. And maybe that's it. But I'm going to choose to take this at face value. In the interviews, he talked about how there was a me- there was actually an acting reason for it. I don't know if you've ever come across this in, in any of his interviews, but the idea was that he wanted it to feel more spontaneous, right? People, as we're talking, like you and I are doing now, sometimes we're searching for words, you know, it's yeah. like not rehearsed. And so that yeah. was sort of the idea where he, as the actor, would literally be looking for his words <laughs> just as, I, I as a person it. would be. I, I noticed it in this one, his eyes like darting around and like looking down and like taking like breaks. I did notice the, yeah. But he, I mean, he was great in this though, dude. Brando was great. And he's got great head of hair in this movie. Like his hair looks so good. Like when I'm old, I want my hair to look that great. Like just that, like that, that white, thick, like white, like that curl in the front. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Looks cool as hell. Yeah. I, I'm very partial to the Russell Crowe Jor-El, but this I mean, this is an iconic take on the character and he, you know, whatever you want to say about how much he was paid for the small amount of screen time, but he added so much legitimacy to the movie. He and Gene Hackman, right? Once they had those two yeah. attached. Uh, and we haven't even talked about the Salkins yet, who, who, you know, the ones who acquired the rights and, and, and made this happen in the first place. Um, but he brought such gravitas to the, to the role. And it's, it's such a pivotal piece to, to, to kick off the movie and to really anchor it and give it, give it that emotional weight. So yeah, I think it, it, he was the right fit for this. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and like, he actually looks like Christopher Reeve's dad too, which is like, that's the crazy part. Like, you know, in some of these movies, like when they cast parents, they don't look like they're related at all. Like he looks like he's related to him, you know, looks legit. I love that Lara is like twenty years younger than him. <laughs> well, ever so since ridiculous. you ever since you talked about that, I think when we were doing the Superman and Lois episode, right? When you were like, "Why yeah. is Jor-El always like so oh, much so, older?" So old, yeah. I know. Now I always think about that. I, I you know, it's probably because of Brando's take. That's probably why every take afterward is because they got Brando, and they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, he's he's old. Yeah, that the awesome white hair. So we got to have everybody else be older, you know." Yeah, no, for sure. I do. I mean, I love that we open with uh, Jor-El banishing Zod and Nan and Ursa. And obviously, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about the Donner cut of Superman 2, but obviously they were initially filming those two movies together, so they knew where they were going. But even that aside, I mean, it, it works very well to set up the threat in the next movie, um, but also mm-hmm. just to give you some other flavor of what's going on on Krypton beyond oh, Jor-El yeah. trying to warn them. I thought that it was a very effective way to, to kick things off. Yeah. yeah. And then the Phantom Zone, that like mirror thing, that that's always embedded in my head too. Of like, that's the Phantom Zone, man. It's this like weird mirror that just smashes into you and like sucks you into the, yeah. 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 Again, more of that, of that visual language. 
Jor-El, of course, gives this speech as they're putting baby Kal-El in, in the rocket. I was moved by, I was definitely moved by this. These are the same words that Brandon Routh, Superman, will say to his son Jason in Superman Returns. But the line in particular, because you and I have talked about this before, and I knew eventually we would get to this episode, but uh, the son becomes the father, and the father, the son. What, what is your take on this? I know we've talked about this before, especially after rewatching. I don't it get again. it. No? I don't get I, I the Wait, the son, I get the son becomes the father, but I don't get the father, the son. That's the part that I don't get. Do you do you get it? Especially like why he's saying it to, like like I, I, I what's what's your take on it? This so okay. First of all, I think kind of the brilliance of this line is that you can look at it in different ways. So I think that's actually kind. Of, it's like you, I think you can interpret it it differently. I know I mentioned this to you before in the Supergirl TV show. It was in the context of Martian Manhunter and his father who was suffering from dementia and it was sort of this mm-hmm. idea of now Jean is becoming the caretaker and so like the yeah. ro- the role is switching so it's sort of in that context but here i mean the son becomes the father all right so we have Jorel has a son so he previously was a son himself now he's yeah. had a son he's a I, father I, yeah i get that part um and the father the son i mean i again i think you can look at it in different ways but like you sort of live on through your son so it's like in a way you become your oh, son okay Okay. Okay. I look okay, at it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> it's just a great line though. Either way. Regardless it, it, of- <laughs> it is. It is a good line. Yeah. It is a good line. Yeah. I, I really do think it is, is the sense of that, like living on through. Okay. Oh, well, you know, that doesn't make sense because he knows that they're dying and he's sending the kid off to like basically live on for Krypton. Like, I mean, okay. You know what? You sold me. That's what I think that's what it means. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I do think that works. Oh, you know, one thing that I thought of, and this kind of ties into the the lengthy programming sequence that Clark undergoes at the fortress where he's there for twelve years. But uh, I, did you ever have you ever listened to the old radio show, the old Superman radio show? No, I haven't. So I've only listened to a little. I've dabbled. I've just dabbled, and I talked about this when we did our origins exploration. But they told the origin on the radio show a couple of times or at least a couple of times, but the first version of it in the very beginning was super, you know, baby Kala leaves Krypton and adult Superman steps out on earth. So he grows to adult oh, wow. in the rocket. And it's so funny. Cause like he comes out and he's in the costume and he immediately saves this like little kid and his grandfather. And the kid's like, you should be, you should get a disguise and you should call yourself Clark Kent. And like, that's how <laughs> the whole thing unfolds. But he, so he like, he comes out of it, fully formed and obvious i'm grateful that the movie didn't fall into that because i think that's yeah that's not the the way forward but it's like i'm almost surprised they didn't like he's getting all these lessons um in the rocket on his way to earth and then he has that lengthy programming sequence i guess i'm i am grateful that they gave us that that 10 minute Smallville sequence that really went a long way because otherwise I feel like we sort of fall into the territory of that original radio show origin. Um, Cause yeah. again, that leads to really the, when we're getting more specific about the movie, the biggest hang up I've had specifically in the film is the fact that he spends all of those years in the fortress under the tutelage of Jorel being told about the human heart without actually having experiences that teach him that I've never been able to get over this. 
Well, I, I've I never really read it as that he was just in the fortress all those years either. Like really? because like well yeah because like don't they say like our journey through the galaxy and everything like like I took it that like it was just he was like training with Jor El but like he wasn't like locked in the fortress the whole time like like I assumed he like went back to like Kansas a couple times to his mom and like I, like, I don't know I, I never got the maybe I'm totally misreading that but like I feel like it's like ambiguous as to like what exactly they're doing. Interesting. That is counter to the way I've always interpreted it, but well, I mean, do you do you see it as him like in the because he because he says we journey through the stars now? Does he go into a ship and go through like is he like space traveling or is it all just like data in like a computer essentially? Like like well, it, it's really ambiguous. Like where does he get the costume if there's like if he's not you know what I mean? Does that just like materialize? I, like it's. I feel like there's a, a bunch of ways. I feel like you could headcanon a bunch of stuff from that. Maybe you can. And look, hey, maybe I'm totally off in my view of this. I, the, but I mean, it, I do agree that there is some ambiguity in terms of how it's presented. I mean, Jorel says like, well, I think he says like, we'll leave the confines of your earthly body. I I always took it as this idea of like his, I mean, I don't know, this is not a great explanation, but like his consciousness is sort of merging with the AI in the fortress and he's, you know, seeing all of these things, oh, but, I, okay. but I never took it as like, he's physically going out anywhere. Like I, it really okay. seemed to me like, I, again, I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he was literally standing there for 12 years, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it was that again, that there was some what sort of like something somewhat metaphysical where his there was like this consciousness meld and he was having these experiences but i mean Jorel is like ticking off the years he's like another year has passed and five years have yeah. passed um well like i i also i always imagined that he was like training too like fight training and like it wasn't just like 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 you're saying just standing there like i thought like i mean clear like he, he had to have like eaten food you know and like slept and like i feel like they're I feel like it's purposefully ambiguous because I think I, I truly think that sequence is just to be like, okay, this is how we turn him into Christopher Reeve as like, you know what I mean? I feel like there's a speaking of that. How did you feel about the actor playing teenage Clark Kent not being Christopher Reeve? Cause they, they kind of look like the same age. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, how do I feel about them dubbing over his voice? Uh, but wait, wait, what they dubbed? Oh, so Jeff East played young Clark and they dubbed over his voice with Christopher Reeve. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I know that. Yeah. Wow. I, that's, they did a good job. Cause I didn't, I didn't notice like any lip sync off or anything. Yeah. There's like one clip. I found one clip on YouTube that I, I think was from a, a deleted scene or something where you actually hear Jeff East's voice, like his actual voice for like a little snippet of a scene. I mean, it didn't sound radically different than Christopher. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, they look like the same age. (laughs) They just look like two different people. They're like the same age. (laughs) All right. Fair point on that. But I do, I like, no, I do like that they're played by different acts. Cause I feel like it really, it makes for a very cool reveal when we when we That's you know true. we kind of go through the Jorel mask and we, we see Christopher Reeve standing there's like this big moment i feel like that would yeah. have been well now counterpoint to that it would have been the first time you see him in the costume 
So that still would have had impact. But I think the yeah. fact that it's like, okay, like now he's here. And that's another thing too. You got to give the movie credit for delaying his reveal as that's long as it, in, yeah. it's like, you don't see Christopher Reeve until that deep into the movie. And even then, yes, you see him in the costume, but he's so far away and he just flies by quickly. It's like, you yeah. have to wait a few more scenes which, before he says which, Lois. Yeah, no, but it's, it's actually, I thought you were going to talk about the reveal of seeing him as Clark Kent. Cause that's actually a cool reveal too. Cause like, you're like following Jimmy's camera and then like you follow Lois in and then like the kind of turns around to use to like reveal Christopher's Clark Kent. So yeah, th- you're right. You're right. That it was a good, good choice to do that. But wait, I like what you said about the fortress training. Cause I've always been hung up on this. It, it only, like I said though, my God among men thing helped me get past that. Uh, cause you know, Jesus probably went through something similar. He, you know, he probably went out into the desert and he got, whatever uh, uh, you know downloaded as well <laughs> but like I, maybe i have been taking it too literally i don't think i don't i really feel like the intent of the movie is like he's in there that whole time but i i don't know I, i'm open to a different but, but, interpretation but, but i mean like you know like in birthright how like he's going around like to like africa and like everything like i feel like that could you could headcanon that in here though like he could be walking out that crystal and like listen to the crystal talking as he's like doing adventures, you know, maybe. And you know what? In fairness. So one of the things that has been well documented at this point in terms of the making of this movie, right? They were originally making one and two together. There was a lot of tension between the producers, the Salkins and Richard Donner, uh, even in those, uh, you know, behind the scenes featurettes on the, on the Blu-ray, they talk about how, they like talk shit about each other. Yeah, well, apparently the <laughs> you know the Salkins were were forever telling Donner that he was over budget and behind schedule, but they had never given him a budget or a schedule, so he was kind of you know flying <laughs> blind. There was so there was a lot there, and then of course they would replace him on on Superman too. But the the the, the point is there was so much that they had to accomplish on a very tight shooting schedule with money issues with making really a new kind of movie on a very epic scale. So, you know, maybe that really was more of a, you know, kind of an artistic choice to not have to film him (laughs) traveling the world, but to still sort of show that he's learning and developing and growing. Maybe I have always took, taken it too literally. I, I, I have to think about that. As my parents would always say when I was growing up, and I feel like this has served me very well as a, as a, as a watcher of movies now is that whenever I'd have like a plot hole question or something, I'd be like, what, what does that mean? Why did that happen? Whatever. My, my mom would always say like, you're not supposed to ask those questions. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, and like, I know that like a lot of writers would probably hear that and be like, Oh no, you, you got always answer. But like there, I feel like you'll enjoy movies a lot more if, if you, when you butt up against things, you're just like, nah, you're just not supposed to ask that. Like, like where does he get the costume in this movie? not supposed to ask that question don't move on like you know (laughs) i feel like he was just in a crystal chamber this whole time while his mind was traveling the cosmos and the ai in the fortress was like sewing this costume while he he was in suspended animation you know what in terms of character and and just the the story the reason why it always bothered me was just i feel like it just undercuts any character development or evolution if he's just told all of these things it just to me makes him feel so much more removed from humanity if he hasn't been 
out there in the world learning and experiencing these things for himself. Like that's the problem I've always had uh, with it. And I thought, I know I said this when we did our Superman and Lois episode, but I thought even though I didn't love that they sent Tyler Hecklin's Clark to the fortress for what seemed to be about 10 years or so, I felt that they split the difference nicely because when he's done training with Jor-El and he's shifted from the teenager who goes up there to Tyler Hecklin, Jor-El is like, okay, now you need to decide what you want to do with your powers and why or why you want to use them to help people, right? So it's like, okay, you've had all of this training with me, but you still need to get back out there into the world. Like, I thought that split the difference nicely as opposed to here where it's just like, okay, you're Superman now. Mm-hmm. But, you that's know, true. It, 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 is, it is what it is. And it does, that's the thing though, the God Among Men thing helped me get over this because mm-hmm. there is this, it, it's, a, it's a different version and there is something, again, a little bit more, you know, again, magical or metaphysical or whatever you want to call it of him going through this experience. Like, it's not an earthly experience that he's going through. This is not birthright. This is not man of steel. Like he's not, again, unless we do subscribe to your theory and he is out there walking around the crystal, maybe, (laughs) but if that's not the case, right, he's not having these earthly adventures. He's really going on a different journey, a God's journey. And now he's going to live among men in his disguise. I think in that context, it works. It's not my preferred version, but I can, I can get behind it. Yeah. You can accept it as a different take. Yeah. So anything about Krypton or Smallville that we didn't talk about that you wanted to before we shift to the uh, Metropolis? Uh, no, I think I think we're good. Yeah. Did uh, did you like New York as the stand-in for Metropolis? <laughs> Straight up New York? Mm-hmm. Complete with the Statue of Liberty? It's yeah. just New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think it added a realism to the movie. Like we were talking about, about like um, – batman 89 how they like made a gotham on the soundstage which on one hand does yes give a very cool distinct feel to that of being this very fantastical like unique world which is very cool i love batman 89 i'm not taking away from that but like the using of new york in this made it feel very like grounded and modern and real you know like that's the thing that i found so interesting about this movie was that it wasn't trying to be like a timeless throwbacky kind of movie where like yeah, it's, they're using like 70s technology, but there's like 1940s cars and stuff. Like it wasn't like doing that. It was like straight up just like a movie of 1978. You know what I mean? Like it was like a modern, as real as we can make it movie of 1978, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do appreciate that as well. And there's something about 70s movies. I feel like they don't they don't feel as dated as like an 80s movie. You know, like certain 80s movies. It's yeah. Like, oh man, it feels... So so specific to that period of time. And with 70s stuff, I feel like, yes, it's a little grittier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it definitely has a a specific feel, but there there's a more of a timelessness to it than than I I noticed that like people didn't look as like, like pretty and perfect in 70s movies as like in later movies. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know if that was like, uh, like the styling of the time or just like, makeup techniques or whatever but like i feel like usually in these movies they try to make everyone look as like immaculately perfect as possible and like a lot of these people in these movies like this movies particularly look like real people you know yeah 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 yeah, for sure so all right talking about this incarnation of clark i think the movie very much does support the notion that clark is his disguise i really feel Mm -hmm. like we're that's 
reasonable to to conclude for no other reason than when we get to that scene between uh superman and jor-el in the fortress after he's made all those saves and jor-el's like okay you've revealed to the world so oh all right i'm jumping ahead but it's all right we're an hour and 45 minutes in we'll just plow (laughs) so that scene in the fortress right which didn't even make it into the theatrical cut which is bonkers to me but that scene in the fortress where jor-el is like okay you're revealed to the world so be it what what did you what's your take on that did jor-el not intend for him to be revealed to the world like what does the so be it mean Honestly, I didn't really think that that hard yeah. about it. I don't really have I don't I don't have a take on that one either way. I um I actually kind of get why it wasn't in the movie to be honest with you because like it you end that sequence on such a high that this that I feel like the pacing of that movie and that that clip in there like kind of it has like a weird like stall in like the momentum of the movie um to me. But I think it's a cool scene and I think it's like I I feel like it's there. I feel like that it, movie is there to explain to people why he's not superman all the time you know what i mean like i feel like that's like essentially why that movie's there that's in there i don't know what's what's your take on him being like so be it i don't really know what to make of so be it because it's like look you train this kid for 12 years and you put him in a suit what did you think he was gonna do so the so be it it sounds like oh i didn't intend for you to do this but i'm maybe there's a different interpretation of that but so, okay, this is interesting. This cuts both ways. I agree with you. I think in terms of pacing, it probably did stick out a little bit, and maybe that's why it was cut. But the mm. reason why I like it is, and again, look, this goes back to what I, more of the humanity that I want to see in the character, right? Or that internal tension that I want to see in the character. Because I was thinking about this. Absent that scene, there are no scenes of like Clark at home, Clark talking honestly Mm -hmm. to martha there's nothing where he's truly just himself or at quote-unquote at home either in a metropolis apartment or or at the fortress again it just like i said this magical kind of quality it's like he you only see him existing when he's pretending to be clark when he's saving it's just Mm -hmm. i I don't know it's it's interesting to me but so that's why i kind of i did appreciate that scene because it's like okay you get a sense of what he's actually going through at this point in time. But what's so funny to me about that scene, and the reason I brought it up is Jorel is quick to say, it's like, okay, you're revealed, but you have to maintain your secret identity. And Superman's like, why? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> obviously this is not the line, but he, I feel like he was thinking it's a real pain in the ass to be this Clark Kent guy. I like knock into stuff all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm always bumping into people and doors. It's like, it's a lot of work. But yes, you're right. Jorel gives him these explicit reasons why he needs to do it, right? Because humanity will abuse its resources and uh, they'll rely on you too much and your enemies will know to uh, attack you through your loved ones. The first one, though, did it like did it make you think of Lex Luthor at all? Not in this movie, but in subsequent depictions. Just this, what, what do you mean? When Jorel is like, if you're Superman 24 or 28 hours a day and Superman's like, oh, it's 24 hours on Earth. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but when, you know, if you're Superman all the time, it, you know, it's humanity's habit to abuse their resources. It just made me think of Lex because in more modern tellings, uh, you know, there's been this idea that Lex has espoused that Superman's very presence inhibits humanity's development, right? They won't achieve they won't strive to achieve more because they know Superman is there mm-hmm. right to, to, to help them, to save them, whatever it might be. That is li- that his very presence limits the growth of humanity. 
I know that's not specifically, it's a different angle with Jorel, but it just kind of made me think of that. Like his, it gets at this larger idea of what his presence in the world would actually do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like, I feel like why the scene was cut a little bit was because, again, I don't know, but like, 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 like him, like with Superman being like, why do I have to be Clark Kent? I feel like doesn't fit with like the rest of the, the character, how they're showing him. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's, and, and like you're saying, like giving reasons, like it, it just feels like, I think it like opens the door to too many like logic questions. Whereas if like you don't show that and you just accept that like, oh yeah, he's Clark and he's Superman, you know, I feel like it basically opens up more questions. I think having that scene in there. Yeah, I you, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. I, mean, I think that does account for for why it's what's so funny though. It it gets at these larger questions about his role in the world. It shows some of the internal tension. That's the stuff that, <laughs> that I want. That you, so you love, yeah, I love yeah, that scene. Yeah. But I get yeah, no. Yeah. But you're right. But I, you're right though. I don't think that necessarily. No, I'm, I'm fits. Not, I, no, I'm not saying I think it should be cut. I'm saying I I think why it was cut. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, no, no. I hear you. Yeah. So again, going back to to Smallville, like we said, we got that great reveal of of Clark, and like I said earlier, he was not as bumbling as I remembered. Here's here's one thing I wanted to ask you though, because I know again, you and I both grew up with the modern Clark, who's the football star and the ace reporter and the star novelist mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I mean, in on the spectrum, like uh, between like the nerdy bumbling Clark and the burn Clark, like where what's the sweet spot for you? I mean, Tyler Hecklin's is like, I know we talked about it in Superman Lois, but I love like the dorky level of Tyler Hecklin, like, cause I feel like it's like realistic and earnest, you know? Um, yeah, I, I feel like that's a sweet spot right in the middle. Cause I feel like if you make him too cool, I mean, it's already like a stretch that nobody recognizes that he's Clark and Superman, like, and he looks exactly the same. Like, even with the glasses, like, he looks like the same guy. Like, there's, so, it's already a stretch. So if you make Clark like a super like cool, strong, powerful, authoritative person as well, then I feel like that only hurts his disguise even more. So, you know, I, I like the idea of Clark being a little dorky, but not like over the top. Yes. Like Tyler Hecklin's version, I think is my favorite interpretation of like the Clark Superman dynamic. I agree. I, this is sort of ever evolving for me. Because obviously it grew up with a specific version, but watching Christopher Reeve in particular, and his version is not the sweet spot for me, but it did make me think about something. I, I really do think there's something to the idea of Clark being overlooked and dismissed. Mm-hmm. It does a couple of things, right? It, it creates that that dichotomy where he's Superman, all eyes are on him, and when he's Clark, he's he's easily yeah. cast aside. So I think that that's interesting, but also it does it does sort of help establish why, as Superman, he has the empathy and the humanity and the kindness that he does because he it's not the same level. He's not part of a marginalized group of society, but he does know what it's like to be overlooked and for people not to care or pay attention. And so I think that yeah. that makes that adds something to what he does as Superman. So I, I do kind of like that. I think that, um, look, we, we, you and I always go back to birthright, but I think birthright did a nice job where, yeah, you know, he's just kind of like this quiet, you know, like quiet, unassuming loner. And, you know, the, the, you know, the classic scene where they all go out to, 
you know, to, for drinks after work. Right. And they tell him a different bar or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, you know, he, he's just kind of shy and quiet. Um, so I think that's sort of, uh, for me, probably the sweet spot, I would say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I do, they did some great things in this, in this, um, in this, in, in like when, he's walking out of the daily plan with Lois after their first day and some guy runs into Lois and they're like, Hey, how you doing Lois? And, and Lois is like, Oh, this is Clark Kent. And he goes like, Hey, nice to meet you. And the guy's like, yeah, okay. And just walks away. <laughs> like, like little gags like that. Or like when he's waiting for the elevator and there's two people walking by, he's like, good night, good night. And they're, and they just like totally ignore him. You know, like they definitely did a lot of good subtle things that like that, that I didn't notice in previous, like, or at least didn't clock, you know, I didn't really like latch onto yeah, it's funny you say that because, right, what is, yes, he's a little clumsy, but ultimately, yeah, he's just really earnest. All he's, it's so funny, he's just like greeting people. He's just yeah. forever just trying to say hello and goodbye to people, and it's yeah. like they have no time for him. Uh, or like when he's like, when he's standing in front of the TV, and he's like, hey, did you guys see Lois? And they're like, nah, she's not here. Hey, you're in front of the set, Clark. <laughs> like, yeah, no, for sure. Uh I guess Jor-El probably had how many how many years on on the in the fortress tutorial do you think Jor-El spent on journalism and typing cuz Clark <laughs> Clark just comes in and he hits the ground running that was probably yeah. I want to say Jor-El carved out like 6 months out of the 12 years Well we we got to remember also this is the 70s so like I'm not quite sure how many uh I feel like I keep hearing these like stories about like People who are like, yeah, back when I was in college, I, I paid my way through law school by being a, by being like a, a, a like a, I don't know, like 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 a, like a, like you hear these crazy stories about people in the seventies that like just got jobs without like degrees, you know? <laughs> so like I mean, so I mean that could like be part of it. I don't know. Yeah, no, like, like like these high paying jobs. You're right. The how much he spent on journalism and uh, his witty prose style that Perry says he's got. He's got a witty prose style. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, I, I came away from this with a, with a more positive view of, of this Clark Kent than I had before with, within the context of really accepting the fact that this is his disguise. Now, I don't subscribe to the Kill Bill theory that Clark is meek and bumbling yeah, because no. that's Superman's indictment of humanity. I wouldn't go that far. But I do yeah. agree, you know, the starting point of that whole speech in Kill Bill is that, you know, other superheroes get up and they put on their costume and they become the superhero. Superman is Superman and he becomes Clark Kent. And I think in this context, in this movie, I do, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do think that's the case. Uh, when you talk about the split between Clark and Superman, I mean, and this is such a famous scene. I know everyone knows it, but when Clark is waiting for Lois and he has that brief, uh, you know what? I'll argue against myself for a second. You get a little bit of internal tension there where he wants to tell her his secret, right? And he takes Mm -hmm. off the glasses and he stands up straight and his voice drops. And it's, I mean, just from an acting perspective, it's like, man, like you see literally all the little pieces, all the little things that he's doing to look and sound and stand differently. It's, it's, Yes, it's he's a, he's a great great actor, man. Yeah. Chris Reeve was a great actor. I mean, yes, it's such a stretch that people wouldn't know. But if there were ever, if you could ever possibly account for it, I feel like that scene really goes a long way. I feel like it's a stretch that Lois doesn't know. I feel like everyone else in the Daily Planet, or like anyone else in the world, I feel like I buy because. 
they're not spending intimate time with Superman up close and personal. But to me, the fact that Lois doesn't know is like kind of crazy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that scene was, I, I really, uh, I appreciated that. Of course, the irony of him, you know, coming to pick her up as Clark minutes after during his interview as Superman, he's like, I never lie. It's like, but you lie all the time. (laughs) He doesn't lie when he's Superman. I I guess. Although when Lois is like, you know, Clark says you're, you know, you're made up. He's like, Clark, who's Clark? Yeah. I feel like that's kind of walking the line there a little bit, buddy. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Where would you like to go next? What about the Luther stuff? Yeah, Lex Luthor and, I mean, what's your take on this on this incarnation of Lex Luthor? You know, I, I I really like this version of Lex. I like that he's like unashamedly just a bad guy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like he he refers to himself as a criminal mastermind. The cops are already on his tail for something. Like you don't know why, but like they're all they're, like they see um, Otis and they're like. Oh, they're going to lead us. That—that's him. He's going to lead us to the big man himself. Who? Lex Luthor. Like, why the cops are after me? You don't. You never really get why. You're assuming like maybe he was like had some Ponzi scheme or something. Like, like my assumption is that he like was like you know like one of these guys who like screwed a bunch of people out of money and like then went into hiding. That's kind of where my mind goes to. But like he refers to himself as a criminal mastermind, and he. Like, it's just all about just, like, just being a bad dude. And, like, there's no, like, um, what you would call it? Like, there's no, uh, um, what is it? Like, you know how the Spider-Man villains in the movies are always, like, oh, you can, like, see how they've got, like, a heart of gold, but their situation turned them into a bad person. It's like, no, like, this version of Lex just, like, he's just bad. Like, you know, and, like, there's something, like, nice about the simplicity of that. And, which I had never noticed until this rewatch, when he's swimming in the pool and he gets out of the pool and he, and he tells Otis to get his robe, did you notice that his cap was green his and his robe was purple and it had two L's on it? Oh, no. I never noticed that until this rewatch, yeah. Oh, but it's like cool. the Lex Luthor colors. And, he, and, and because he's got the cap on, he's like bald. You know, he's got the cap. So it's like mimicking the bald thing. Like it's, yeah, it's a nice little nod that they put in, which I never noticed before. Yeah. Yeah, like... This has never been, and I don't think it will ever be, my favorite incarnation of Lex. As much as I look, Gene Hackman's a terrific actor, and I enjoyed what he did with the material, but I would never hold this up as as my preferred iteration of the character. But I think for the role that Lex had to serve in this story, it works, because we're telling this sweeping story of the journey from Krypton to earth, the training, the debut. If we were getting into sort of the larger philosophical questions that we've gotten into with other versions of Lex, it's just, I don't know that there was necessarily the realist, no pun intended, the real estate for something like that. I think, you know, and I, I think my perspective has shifted here too, because I think I used to be a little bit harder on this version of Lex, but you know what? In this movie, I think Lex, serves the function that he really needs to, right? Just providing some bit of antagonism for Superman and setting up this, you know, the big climax in the desert with the earthquake. Well, I mean, also his just personality of like thinking he's better than everyone else. Like the way he talks to like Tess and Otis, like 
like you know, like, like, like when the first time you see Lex, his first line is they're walking out of video footage of Otis, and he's like, "It's amazing that brain can generate enough power to move one leg in front of the other." <laughs> yeah. He has so many like zingers like that that are like really good. I mean, my God, the, his reaction when he sees Otisberg on the mat yeah, is yeah. great. <laughs> Dude, there's there's one. See, again, I never noticed before until this watch when it's when Superman's confronting Lex. And it's I think it's when they're in the the library part, right? And and they're about to go to the Otisburg, like the 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 map. It's before they get to the map, they're in the library part, and Superman's like standing like with his hands like kind of like crossed in front of him, and, and him and Lex are like, staring right at each other. And Lex screams, he goes, Miss Tessmacher, and screams, and he's standing right in front of Superman when he does it. And Christopher Reeve's reaction is like he goes like, like he like jumps back and his hands open up and he's like, and this would be like, what the hell? <laughs> like the whole like with the screaming and I had never noticed that, but like it's this really funny like like he scares the shit out of Superman. He's like, he's like what what? <laughs> it's it's a really good moment. <laughs> that is cool. It's you know one of the things that I noticed on this rewatch is that they only have one scene together. I mean two when he brings Lex to the you know, to the prison at the very end, but they don't really have much interaction there, but it's like, they have one big scene. I mean, it's not a small scene, but they have one big scene together. Uh, And and I think in, in terms of what was written and and what they, what they portrayed, I think it, um, I think it worked well. Yeah. Again, here you don't have sort of the more philosophical objections to Superman from Lex that you get elsewhere. This is pretty, surface level basically he's got this real estate scheme and superman's in his way and that's about as much depth as we get but like i said i think it works fine for for what it is yeah yeah and he he brings like humor to it without undercutting the sinisterness of the character does that make sense yeah like like the the humor's all like his wit and being surrounded by like an idiot like otis you know (laughs) like yeah you know what i feel like in the past i always kind of characterized this Lex as being on the campier side. I don't think that's an accurate description. I, I don't know that I would say campy. It, it is, it's, it's humorous, but it is that dark humor. And yeah, you know, Hackman really sells that. So yeah, no, I, I like this Lex. I don't, I don't love this Lex. Yeah. Like when they're, uh, <laughs> when they're in the car at, in, in the, in the ambulance car and, um, Otis, like was supposed to re re, uh, put the coordinates on the missile and he put the wrong coordinates in. And because he, he was supposed to put a seven and 11, but he put a one seventeen, an 11 and seven, but he put a one seventeen. And he's like, Oh, it's my, oh, I don't really have a long arm. And Lex's like long arm. You want to see a long arm? And then, like, he starts like fighting him. And the next time you see them, Otis is a black eye. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good. Little humor jokes like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's stuff that's genuinely funny. Little things. When, uh, after Superman's made his debut and Perry's tasking the, the Daily Planet staffers with finding out more about him and he goes up to Clark, he's like, who's his favorite ball, you know, ball club? And like, <laughs> Clark's about to and answer. Clark goes to answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know you, we skipped over it, but I know you said you were not a fan of the, the po- Lois's poem as they're flying together. Oh, yeah. That's ridiculous. That, that, I have no idea how that even got in the movie. The you know that was a part you know like I said we've not you know we've only tangentially mentioned the music but that's a scene where I think the music and the visuals could have carried it 
and oh, I think yeah. it would have worked. It would have worked just fine. Yeah. yeah. As much as I love the balcony scene between the two, the balcony scene is so well written because there's this exchange of of information about Superman. But again, you're also on this other level getting the the flirtation and the development of that of that relationship. Um, so I, I think it, it works so well. And it's funny too, when you see Superman's strategy in the scene, because like any time where Lois is encroaching on personal information, he like very quickly pivots. Like when she mm-hmm. says, do you have a first name? And he's like, what do you mean Ralph or something? And before she can ask a follow up, like she moves away from the planter and he can now see through her, her dress and he, you know, yeah. that, that whole moment, uh, you know, again, little, little things like that, that I thought were, were clever, but yeah, the flying, do you like that sequence in and of itself? Absent, the, the, absent the poem. I mean, I think it's a little long. I think the poem like makes it a little, I think it's a little too long. And like, and when, when like, they're like, like, He's got her like flat out and he's like, he's holding her by one hand and they're both kind of like in that flying position. I turned to Laura and I'm like, do you know how fast they'd have to be flying no. for him to maintain enough lift for her to be like up like flat like that? Like, like I feel like her, like her skin would be like off her body. You know what I mean? They'd have to be going at like Mach three to like, to like, to like maintain that like flight like that. But I know I'm no physicist, but I had the same thought. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know that that really works. We yeah. talked about how, you know, we watched the special edition, right? Which is, I think, 151 mm-hmm. minutes. There is also with the three-hour extended cut. You've never watched that, right? Never have, no. So just as a quick side note, this was the television version that not Donner, but the Salkins, the producers, created essentially to, to pad the television runtime to create more yeah. space for commercials. Uh, and for years and years, this was sort of something that fans only had on, you know, if they had recorded it off of, off of the television on VHS. Uh, a few years yeah. ago, Warner Brothers put it out on, on DVD and Blu-ray. And I have watched it once. And I just wanted to address it for a second for anyone who is curious about it. It's, it's one of those things what, if, if, what? Well, I was going to say, what do they add? Is it new footage? Yeah, is there's it like the, like. Okay. Yeah, so it's a half hour of additional footage, but for the most part, it's it's a it's a good example of the importance of editing. So for example, you know when Otis is walking through Grand Central and walking through the streets of Metropolis, in the in the TV cut, like it just goes on and on of him walking. Uh, Like the scenes of the Kents driving away, I think after they find Clark in the field or something, like that goes on. It's just very padded. I mean, there's some substance. I can't really recall a ton of things off the top of my head, but for the most part, it's all stuff that was cut for a reason. There's one really cool moment though where in the the climax where Superman saves Jimmy by the dam and he -hmm. he holds Jimmy up and, and gives Jimmy a moment to get a shot of it with his camera. And so Superman's like, Jimmy, like, get your shot. So, like, that was a cool little moment between them. Like, that would have been cool to leave in there, I thought. But for the most part, it was all stuff that you kind of looked at and you're like, I, I get why they cut this. But I would just say if gotcha. anyone, you know, you, if you love Superman the movie, it's not, you know, it's worth watching at least once. You get some more footage that maybe you've never seen before with these characters. And it kills the pacing. Like, it just totally kills the pacing. <laughs> <laughs> But it makes it something different. It's, it just becomes something that you sort of just kind of like settle in and let it wash yeah. over you. It's, it's not going to be a tight, punchy, 
you know, four act thing. It's, it's going to be, uh, you know, a bit more meandering, but if you go in knowing that, you know, again, I think it's worth a watch for once. Would I say like, Oh, this will be your definitive version to watch. No, very unlikely. So when it was airing on TV, was it like a five-hour like event? Because if they put commercials in, they did it over two nights. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, okay, yeah, okay. So, gotcha. shall we move to the to the climax here to to California? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. California desert. These two missiles. What would you like to discuss about this? Um. Well, my my question, I guess, rewatching it now is. What was the point of launching those missiles? Were they testing the missiles? Was that what was going on? The government was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I was wondering, like, why they were launched to begin with. Because I, I wasn't sure if they made that super clear rewatching it. Was it, was it just supposed to be a test, but then Lex, like, reinterpreted, re-entered the targets, and that's what happened? Yeah. Okay, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, This this is a cool scene, man. Like, when... Superman does like all his heroics when he like saves the, the the one that always sticks into my mind is the train when he like lays down on the track and the train goes over him. That's like an iconic like moment in my head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what was cool about that, that whole sequence was, um, you know, all these superhero movies that we have now, there's always the big bad and it's always the fate of the universe at stake. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's that's fine, but I really did prefer the smaller stakes of this. I mean, look, losing the West Coast is not necessarily low stakes, yeah. but compared to what we get in these movies these days, and also yeah. the fact that I think they, they, I thought they struck a nice balance between giving us some spectacle of him, mm-hmm. you know, engaging in all of these super saves, but doing it in a way that was realistic for their budget and technological capability right so yeah he's not fighting doomsday but he's you know engaging all these saves and and using his powers in cool ways i mean he doesn't really fight anybody in this movie if you think about it which is like for me you know i'm a big action guy so like i i love the fight scenes and stuff but like thinking back to superman 2 those fights are like are kind of suck in superman 2 like i mean not not to not to put it bluntly so like i think the fact there is no fight in this movie for the budget and the effects that they had and the fight choreography training they had, I think kind of makes us better that there's not a fight. Cause they just didn't like, I feel like the fights in Superman two are a big part of what make that movie feel like corny and dated because it just, it feels like they didn't have great like fight choreography that nobody knew martial arts. There was no, like nothing that felt like epic in it. So like, the fact that's not in this movie, I think is part of why it feels like still like it holds up so much because like what the super stuff he does looks really good still, you know? Yeah. 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 No, for sure. Uh, and like I said, watching the, um, the, the, the bonus features and, and seeing how they created the, you know, the, the miniature town that, um, it, you know, is in danger of being flooded, uh, which is really cool to see. So yeah, the saves were great, and of course we we build up to to Lois's death. I, that I definitely remember as a kid. I don't want to say I was scarred by it, but her death by uh you know by the 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 cave-in, but you know the suffocation. Mm-hmm. I remember being kind of uh, affected by that as a kid. That was pretty intense. It's intense. It's super intense. Yeah, I remember like seeing like the dirt like going on. Her, like yeah, that's definitely something that like scarred me when I was a kid. Like that's like crazy and the thing that also really burned into my brain for that whole sequence is superman's scream when he's like yeah 
like he does that like like and it echoes and it's like it's like a crazy like like insane scream that he does that's like you can like really feel like that that's like burned into my head from a young age yeah 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 i the the moment that sticks with me from from the Christopher Reeve performance is immediately before that when he's just doing the no 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 like that really sticks with me and then after he's reversed time and he finds Lois and she's alive and the car won't start and he's like don't bother I think it's dead and there's just this relief in his voice and on his face that's so palpable mm-hmm. and then when she sort of yells at him and then walks by and then he just breathes that that sigh of relief. Uh, like I said, the the movie really does humanize him, but the f- performance, especially, you know, really really brings it home. But you know this this whole bit about reversing time, and this was originally going to be the end of the second Superman movie, and then they decided to just focus on finishing the first one, and they took that ending and they use it here. I've never read, and I don't, I've not heard. I don't know if you have. Like what? was the original ending for this did they have one i have no idea i have no idea i mean they probably didn't because that's why they used it right like the the reversing time i had kind of have an issue with because it's like he reverses time but it's as if none of the events happened then yes right like like so there's there's kind of a logic leap here one of these like you're not supposed to ask those questions kind of thing that i was talking about before but yeah him turning back time you don't see him like stop the missiles then so like what happens you know (laughs) like that's the thing that's where it always lost me too i can buy that he's rewinding okay Mm -hmm. yeah once he presses play (laughs) yeah events would still unfold unless see this see this is this is where if you break this down think about too hard it doesn't make sense right because if he's reversing time and time goes back he's he's outside the planet moving around so when he starts moving time backwards is there another version of him that's going back through time while he's spinning the planet around or is because he's spinning the planet around time's reversing without him in it so then therefore when he presses play he can then fly right so when he presses play he's no longer in the pool with the kryptonite chains, he's in the sky and then he can like take out both missiles before they launch. That's like the only thing I can think of. Cause if he's in space reversing time and time's reversing while he's doing that, does that mean there's another version of him or is there no version of him being reversed in time? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, I had never thought about it like that. That makes it worse. That's now it's like, yeah, yeah I know <laughs> it's a very haphazard. Ending. It's not a lot of thought went into it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess going with my whole thing about reversing, t- about rewinding, all mm-hmm. all I would have needed is he rewinds and then maybe he's back at the dam, but this time he like moves faster <laughs> to get to Lois, yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of thing. Or now he knows exactly where she is, so he can get there faster. Like I just needed, uh, I needed something. But, but like, but 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 like when he reverses time, like nothing happened. Like the rockets don't. Right. There's no damage done to any of the coast. So like he would have then had to have taken them out before they launched, because the the Hackensack one obviously doesn't go off either. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're meant to assume he's doing this, and they just didn't show it to us. I really don't. I don't know. I know we're overthinking it. I know that they didn't. We're definitely overthinking it. Yeah. I know they didn't put as much thought into this as we are, but that's. It always bugged me, but as far as, okay, this is the last, I guess, big question and big 
Like, what do you think it means, peace? But Jorel's whole thing about it is forbidden to interfere with human history. I mean, I guess there are, like, I don't know, a couple of questions. I mean, isn't, yeah. isn't him just existing, like, yeah. interfering with human history? <laughs> That's always been my thing, but I guess, again, this is a different, like, okay. This is the different world. This is the 1978 Richard Donner world where people are not really phased by the presence of an alien with these sure. powers. So maybe his very presence saving, literally saving a cat from a tree and stopping some of these burglaries, maybe that's not enough to interfere with human history. Maybe Jorel was really meaning that more literally. I mean, I guess certainly reversing time seems like that would fall into the category of what's forbidden. And I guess this is not the Donner movie, right? But Superman four, the quest for peace, disarming the world of nuclear weapons that I guess would fall into the category, making such a wide scale. Or, or does he, or does he literally mean it literally in human history, meaning don't go into the past and screw around with what already happened. Yeah. I, I, well, I feel like in the earlier bit during the training, I think, or in the rocket that when he, cause he says it a couple of times in the movie. And I think at one of the points he says, you know, you're let your example inspire them or something like that. So mm-hmm. I think it's taking too active a role. I guess. either way, uh, I guess no matter how you, how you look at it, what Superman does here clearly flies in the face of, <laughs> the, yeah. of, of Jor-El's rule, but there are no consequences. Yeah. I was going to say, there's no, there's nothing happens negatively with him or is that supposed to be you know i actually took this i actually i'm so glad you brought this up because this jogged my memory when i was watching it when he flies up into the sky he hears jorel say it's forbidden for you to interfere with human history but then right after that he hears pa kent say you are here for a reason and that's when he decides to turn the planet back and maybe maybe this is actually the resolution to the you're here for a reason part not the that's like him deciding am i a kryptonian or am i human yeah choosing my human path maybe 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 that's it maybe maybe i'm reading too much into it too maybe (laughs) no maybe that's the tension and and the the need to reconcile the two that i've been longing for maybe that is there i i that you know i i did clock that as well especially in this rewatch that he hears the both of them and it is he ultimately makes the move after hearing pa kent so Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess this idea of using his power in this way, right? Previously, there was someone close to him who died. He either didn't have enough power at that time or didn't know how to use the power. Couldn't, he couldn't save Pa Kent. But now he has mastery over his powers. He, he can do this. And he's mm-hmm. making that choice despite what... I mean, and the whole movie, Jorel's telling him, you are not one of them. Right, mm-hmm. you are not. You will live among them, but you are not one of them. And you know, maybe this is him. You know, choosing another path, which then will also, again, thinking about the fact that they were filming these movies together, knowing that the central tension in the second movie is his desire to live as a human with Lois. I guess this kind of leads to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so hard for me to think about this movie with two in mind because, like, like I said when we talked about two, I've only ever seen two, like twice or three times <laughs> like including what i watched for the show so like but yeah i mean that that probably yeah was probably like definitely the the forbidden human history was probably going to be paid off in the second one in a bigger way 
Maybe, yeah, maybe. It also gave us the the classic GIF of you know Superman <laughs> looking from side to side when he's up in the clouds and he hears the voice. Yeah. That's great. You see that all the time online. That's a that's a fun one. Yeah, and the gentleman is that man all right with the with the power, the power line workers that yeah is that yeah. <laughs> well, you know that brings us to the end of the movie. I know, like I said, we didn't talk about the music much. I don't necessarily have much to say other than it's great. It's it's iconic. It brings the movie to life, truly, in in such a powerful way. I mean, I've been doing some prep for these upcoming episodes, especially the ones coming up where I'm reading comics that were either written by or inspired by Donner. That'll be our next episode. And I've been listening to the soundtrack as I'm reading it. And it just... It, yeah. it it tells the story in its own way, and it's it's, yeah. it's so ingrained. I think when we think of the Krypton sequence, the Smallville sequence, and so on, it, it's it's right there. I mean, it's it's an i it's like the iconic superhero theme. I mean, I don't even just mean Superman. I mean like superheroes in general. Like it's like an i the iconic theme, and I think like this and like the Batman theme are like the two that are like the the Danny Elfman Batman theme. Are there? They're so iconic, and you're never going to top them in terms of like like recognizable superhero themes which is why i think modern movies like like man of steel right the themes in those like i've noticed that like the modern movies like in the dark knight and man of steel and in the new the batman which you haven't seen yet but the, it's really really good the the music in that as well but like the move the the music in the modern movies feels more like like situational music to elevate what you're seeing on the screen at that moment Whereas like this Superman theme is more like you just hear it and you think Superman. It's like the the title credit like music that just like hits you in the face and like just like instantly makes you think of the character. And they don't really make themes like that anymore for these movies. Like the Marvel movies don't have like like what's Captain America's theme music? Can you like hum it? Like I, I have no idea. You know what I mean? Like so I, I think that the this theme is so iconic for that reason that like everyone can just hum it and know it. And like instantly, like everyone knows this music, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, that's a great, that's a great point. I, I think you, you have seen that shift. Yeah. That's the thing. I like this soundtrack really, you can listen to it on its own and it tells, it, it tells us. I mean, there's, I didn't watch this, but there's a version on the Blu-ray that's a soundtrack or score only version of the movie like they take out all the dialogue really? and you could just watch the movie and listen to the music wow that's pretty cool yeah and i don't know how cool, many yeah. other superhero movies you could do that for you know? yeah i mean the rocketeer has pretty good music i mean that's one that i think is right up there you've never seen rocketeer no. have you no. oh oh dude that's one we should watch for and do a podcast on all right in your like list because so, that, that's a really good one man. <laughs> okay, okay. um yeah uh, um yeah man this music it's it's iconic and i i think that it's smart that in modern movies they don't try to like make a new you know what i mean like no one's trying to like replace this music you know because like you can't it's like it's unbeatable yeah so we are fast approaching two and a half hours which is which is not so unusual for this show but at the same time let's we'll uh we'll wind it down but listen what is there anything else i know how much this movie has meant to you is there anything else that we have not talked about or anything else you wanted to say about this iteration of the character, this movie that we didn't get to yet? Oh man, I'm probably forgetting a bunch of stuff. Cause I, there's so many things I want to talk about going into this, but like, again, favorite superhero movie, my top five favorite movies of all time. 
it's this is just a really really solid take on the character and and Christopher Reeve again my favorite Superman I, I I'm not and, and in real life the guy was like a superhero you know like after what happened to him and he just inspires so many people like in his like his own life so it's there, there, there's so much about him and this movie and this portrayal that like is so important to so many people myself included so yeah man it's i think there's a reason why this this movie's like everyone like references it and like you know it, it means so much to so many people i don't know it's, it's getting late and i'm tired so like I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here but like yeah i just i, I love it man it's great it was so great to be able to finally have this full on conversation with you as much as we've, you know, we did Superman two and we've Superman. The movie has come up, you know, in a lot of episodes, but to really do a dedicated episode to it. And there was a reason why I waited 50 episodes in, because I knew it was worthy of this larger exploration. And, you know, I, I knew it was something fun to build to, and I know how much it's meant to people. And it's, again, to be clear, it's meant a lot to me, not, not to the level of you and, and a lot of other fans, but I, I've always had a lot of love for it. And even more so now with my sort of new new take on it, but also just appreciating how well made a movie it is. I think mm-hmm. that was, if I had to like really boil it down to one thing for this rewatch, I think that was the piece of it from a, from a narrative standpoint, but also the, the, the technical standpoint. I was just so impressed by what they were able to accomplish. And yeah, man. I mean, this set the the standard and the template for so long to this day. People still yeah. long for this version of the character, and for those people, go back to this movie. Watch the yeah, three hour extended cut. Watch yeah. the three hour cut. It, you know, go nuts. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great, and like and like I, I know I, I want to end. I don't know if this is the wrong point to end on, but like because this is so great, I hope that. I hope that future filmmakers who try to tackle Superman like take the inspiration from this movie in the sense of like, I want to make a cool, unique version of the character that stays true to who he is, but put my stamp on it. But because that's exactly what Richard Donner did. He didn't, he wasn't imitating anyone else. He made his own unique version of this world staying very true to like the tenets of who the character was at the, at the time. But like, this movie exists with a visual flair and style that is unique to like Donner's vision. It's not like it wasn't trying to be the George Reeves show. You know, this is so different from the George Reeves show, you know? So um, yeah, it's yeah. It's a great movie, man. Such a great movie. Well, thank you, Ken, so much for this. And thank you to the audience. I hope you were able to stick with us for these two and a half hours, however many sittings it it took you to get through it. And I know as much as we talked about, I know there's still more, you know, aspects to this that we didn't, but this movie has been covered so many times by so many people. I'm proud of the fact that for this, you know, we talked about our respective relationships to the movie and what we've gotten out of it. Because I think that's the personal side of it. And, you know, wherever our audience falls for their own you know, experience with this movie. That's, you know, for them to say, but I'm glad that that was sort of how we approach this. Um, I enjoyed this so much. So thank you. Um, everyone, make sure that you follow Ken on social media. Make sure you come back next week for part two of our big Donnerverse event. Ken and I are going to be doing a discussion of the Batman. It's going to be part of my new spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC movie fan journey. That's going to be a Patreon exclusive uh, monthly series 
and it's going to kick off in April with Ken. We'll be talking about the Batman, so make sure you tune in for that. Again, we'll be back here in one week with part two of the Donnerverse, and until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My new spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC movie fan journey, is coming soon exclusively on my Patreon starting at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too, including a robust catalog of bonus podcasts. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.